All right, Clay says he's having some minor technical difficulties, but he's getting on. Clay! You can't see me, but I'm shaking my fist right now. <laughs> Shake it harder. I'm charging my fireball. <laughs> screwed over today because of that. And technology. So, I think that we're, we got a little Commander Cast connection there. It's tenuous. Tenuous at well, best. Commandercast.com Hello everyone, and welcome to Commander Cast episode 210. We're your weekly source for community, strategy, and technology. Hosted on mtgcast.com and our own website, commandercast.com. We're recording this on July 30th, 2015. I'm your host of the show, William. And joining me are my perennial co-hosts. We have Mark. How are you doing today, sir? Good. How are you doing, guys? Doing all right. And we also have Clay, Commander Panda. How are you doing today? Yo, I'm doing pretty well, pretty well. Yep. Unfortunately, no Calvin this week, as you might have heard in some dangly bits or whatever parts unknown of our episodes that you might listen to. He's actually moving this weekend, which will be this past weekend when you, the listeners, actually hear this. So hopefully it all went well. He'll be back next week in time for us to announce our special announcement. So, looking forward to that. Also, you know, you never know. He might just interrupt me with some spiffy sound editing, like right now. Double gory, son. See what he did there? <laughs> all right. But we are not doing this alone, because you you need, I'd say, four, about about four people to have a nice, rounded commander game. So today, we're pretty on Travis, a.k.a. Simulant from ManTheProud.com. How you doing today, sir? I'm living the dream, man. How about you? Doing all right. So, Travis, for the people who don't know who you are, who the hell are you? <laughs> um, I'm a guy that plays magic poorly and tries to improve. Uh, stream a lot at twitch.tv simulant and do videos for Mana Deprived and was super excited to get involved in the EDH Roto. That's kind of where my commander experience stems from. So you mentioned that you only play commander with a certain group of guys. Who are those guys? Well, it kind of all started God, about a year and a half ago. I got an email from Derek Boyko, who I'd done videos with for the late, great DraftMagic.com. He just sent me an email and said, hey, we're going to play Commander on Friday night. Be there. It's like, uh, okay. So I quickly searched through all my cards, did a search filter with everything that had a cat in it, and threw together the amazing Kimba Ka deck. <laughs> I had no idea who we were playing with. It was actually Tom and his friend Kevin, uh... And I didn't know that it was going to be recorded, <laughs> and it was, and people watched it and liked it, and then all of a sudden I'm involved in these Commander videos and had to kind of learn a little bit about the format after that. Right. With our EDH road deck, we're actually going to be getting to that in our community segment, but yeah, you had a ton of fun, didn't you? Oh, yeah, and that, that's that been my whole Commander experience, is playing it online, on Skype, with four people. Like, I feel like if you're miss, missing the trash talk or the interaction, you're kind of missing a lot of the fun of what the format has to offer. Absolutely. So, Travis, in order to get this show rolling, we have a thing that we do every week, and that's to ask our team who their favorite commander is this week and why. So, as guest, who is your favorite commander this week? Oh, it's got to be Lazav. That's that's what I did for the EDH Roto, and it's just so much fun to cross your fingers when you cast a mill spell and hope you get to copy something good. It's a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, it was actually starting to do a lot of work in, in our last game. You got the Psychic Spiral off, he got to be, pretend to be a dragon for a while. He even lived his Kiki Jiki for a little bit. It it was good fun. 
Yeah, he's a copy man, copying copiers. Whose job? Who's, who's, <laughs> uh, I can't. Uh, well, I got completely derailed on that. So tell me a little bit about the about the, the deck plan that you had going into the draft. I just wanted to do something fun, so I drafted Lazav early, and then pretty much any card I could think of to make somebody discard a creature card or mill them or dig through their library to find a creature and put it in the graveyard. Just wanted to have fun copying other people's powerful stuff. Did you have any problems uh, fighting for any of like, the blue or the black cards that you wanted? Not really, because not many people wanted the same stuff I did. Like, you've kind of got to be some sort of weirdo to want to play Mill in EDH. Yeah, like you had That's that same, like you had that same strategy I did, where you just go for the extreme niche stuff out right off the bat. Yeah, that was the idea, so I didn't get sniped. <laughs> well, well, I really enjoyed playing that. All right, so onto our regulars, Mark. Who's your your favorite commander this week? Uh, this week I went back to tokens. So yeah, Calv is not here, so we could just say token, token. Uh, Reese the Redeemed is my favorite this week. Token, token. <laughs> yes. Um, so I want to do an, the other 99 version. So like, I love my Reese the Redeemed deck, but I was worried that it might be like a little bit too powerful out the gate. Like my local, uh, my local game store has started like a bunch of different, like a bunch of different nights of EDH, which is awesome. Like they have an EDH game going, like either a league or a regular, just kind of like show up game night. Like I think four or five nights out of the week now. So I was going to show up to one of the, you know, the more casual games, but I didn't want to show up and play like a redonkulous commander, like it, and just stomp people out the gate. Cause that's not fun. So I'm like, well, I, I really like tokens and I was thinking about wills, like other 99 version of Kalia. And I'm like, man, I've got all these other cards that got cut from my Reese redeem list. Like I'm just going to put together a deck and then just transfer my Reese redeem over to this guy. So that's what I've been doing this week is just uh, moving stuff around. Like cards that never made the, the cut, like Centaur Glade, you know? Like, I just want to make some Centaur tokens, man. You know? That's that's all. I just want to sit around and, like, make Sapperlings like Namata Grove Guardian, who was never cool enough to make the list, you know, before. So, or, like, the uh, some of those inspired guys from, um, oh, God, I think it was, was it Born of the Gods or maybe? Uh, uh, yeah, it was Born of the Gods. Yeah. So, like, you know, the, uh, I forgot that the Centaurs, they untap and you make a Centaur. Like, the dude is like a 5-5 five, five and he untaps and he makes like 3-3 three, three centaurs. Like, sure, I'll play that. Why not? You know? So, <laughs> so have you had a chance to play with it yet? I haven't yet. I Like, the nice part about doing an under, other 99 version, and this goes for pretty much every, I think every archetype that could do an other 99, is uh, man, you probably have all the cards. <laughs> like, I haven't put, I haven't saluted them up yet, but I'm like, you know how like you put together a new deck and you're all excited, you're like, oh man, I gotta order some cards. I don't think I had to order a single card except for Nut Collector, and it just makes me giggle to say Nut collector. So, yeah. <laughs> also rules rules check here, people. Okay, this is why we have two judges on the cast. So, quick aside yeah. for rules check. So, nut collector makes one one squirrels, and then squirrels get plus two plus two. If I include that um that enchantment from Magic Origins, like cre- whenever a creature power three or greater enters the battlefield, you draw a card. Does Nut Collector trigger me to draw a card every upkeep when he pops out a squirrel? Do you as want long the lo- as you have threshold. I was about to say, do you want the long answer or the short answer? <laughs> so I, I just want to say, like, do I get a card? <laughs> I'm not a yes. judge, guys. Yes, <laughs> yes, you do. Okay, you're right. There, there, there's no point when that squirrel is on the battlefield that it doesn't have at least three power, assuming okay. nothing else is affecting it. Okay. Yep. So yeah, man, I'm just gonna go chase some nuts, get some cards, good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Clay, who's your darling this week? Um, Sidisi, Brood Tyrant. I I don't know why I keep tuning decks because there was a point where I didn't want to keep tuning decks, and now I just can't help but keep tuning this one. Um, and the dangly bits, I reworked the the mana base to uh. 
have support for a really weird card that cares about you not having double copies of cards in the deck. So I run six basics, and none of them have the same names, because I run three normal and three non-snow covered. Um, the, The deck is just super sweet now, and I'm going to continue pouring a ton of crap into it. Okay, so you've officially gone into true EDH mode now. True EDH mode? I mean, you just said oh, your yeah. basics have different la- names now. I suppose so, yeah. <laughs> uh, pure singleton. True singleton. What What are basics? Undead Alchemist still doing wonders? Uh, Undead Alchemist is absolutely amazing. Um, I don't know why I didn't know that card existed. Travis, were you playing... Did you draft Undead Alchemist at all? I did, and I was so sad in none of the games was I ever able to draw it, but I was so excited about what I could do with that card. Oh, yeah. That seems like a lot of fun in a mill deck. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. Oh, uh, my question is, did uh, did you put the other Sidisi, like Tudor Sidisi, into oh, yeah. the she, Okay, there, there was a game, uh, I think it was last week, where in my opening hand, I had Rooftop Storm, um, the Tudor Sidisi, and Haven Ghoul Lich. So I ended up getting to turn six. Or I got to, like, turn seven or eight, so I had a bit of extra mana open. So I'm like, okay, here's a Rooftop Storm. I'm going to cast Sidisi, exploit, sacrifice herself, go find a thing, um, play Haven Ghoul Lich, pay one mana, target Sidisi, cast Sidisi for free, exploit herself again, cast Sidisi for free, exploit herself, and just, oh yeah. man, it was nasty. Wow, but, and I yeah. thought Vampiric Tutor was already busted. <laughs> but you get to put a shade to your hand? Oh yeah. man. <laughs> And it, and, it, and it was colorless, too. Like, Well, what a demonic tutor was one black less. Oh, it was right. sweet. Okay. That's pretty sweet. So, my favorite commander of the week, I'm going with Karthus, Tyrant of Jund. It, it's actually been a while since I've played commander. I think the Roto Finals that I played was the first time I had a chance to play commander in quite a few weeks. Just for me, taking time off from work, from everything, it just kind of not being available to play commander with different situations of the story and all that. So this past week, uh, yesterday, no, Tuesday, I, I swear, I know time, I am not chewing. But, uh, so I bought the Carthus deck, but of course, I ended up being, like, the only one who could really mind the store, you know, buying and selling cards and, and all that, so I went ahead and actually just lent Carthus out to someone who forgot their deck. So I'm checking in and co- later, I'm asking him how it's going, he's like, dude, this deck ramps really, really fast. I had, so I asked him what was happening there, and he's like, oh, also he just cloned Carthus and stole him forever. So, got the, yeah. So, the card this deck is doing what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to ramp, it's supposed to shoot dragon can, cannon dragons at people, and I, and I finally got a chance to play myself later, and, yeah, card this continues to be a very efficient, very fast and, and rampy deck, so I don't have to tinker with that as much more. I get to, pl- I get to play both dragon lords in it, and I get to play all sorts of sweet new dragons. So, if you like what we do here at Commander Cast Prime, go ahead and check out our website. We feature articles and podcasts and all kinds of crazy stuff, including some new stuff that we'll be, uh, announcing very soon soon monday we have commander cast prime if you listen exclusively to the mdg cast feed you're actually getting our episodes one whole week later that's right if you want the newest current latest and shiniest of all the commander podcasts come over to our main website and download it or you can just follow our rss feed fantastic stuff tuesday we like to alternate with my editorial series journey to somewhere where i rip off Morrow's idea to record podcasts while driving my car and Mark's Deck Builder Spotlight. Mark, you have someone coming up later this week. Who is it? This Monday, or this Tuesday, so the day after you guys are hearing this, is Journey to Somewhere. And then the week following that will be Noel's episode on his non-blue control deck. There we go. That works. Wednesdays feature our strategy co- columns with Grandpa Growth and his explanations. He does such a great job with his articles. 
He does do really good good work, man. Thursday. It's kind of our free-for-all segment, but every other week you're going to get Rivals Duel with Eric and Noel. Friday and the stack. And the stack. Yeah, I almost forgot about that. I've got that loaded onto my iPod now. Aaron, a.k.a. Uncle Andros, and Grandpa Growth join together to form their own, well, what, what was it, only like 20, 17 minutes? I think so. It, it's a shorter podcast, but it's quality, man. And Friday wraps things up with technology, and that's also going to be where our special surprise slot announcement goes. So check that out. And remember, on the first of every month, except August, you will get Dodo Bird videos. Matt already went ahead and let us know that he will be on vacation, so there's not actually going to be a video for the first of August. I'm kind of disappointed by, by that. Mm. Like, the man's entitled to take a vacation, and then nothing against that, but like, I was looking forward to Dodo Bird content. No, he's not entitled to take a vacation. <laughs> Look, there's some super serious Commander stuff that needs to go on. I don't give a shit about your personal life. Let's go, Matt. Commander is serious business. <laughs> exactly. All the, like, just put that shit on hold, buddy. You know? Like, so you want to go on vacation? So you're overworked? I don't think so. There's a video that needs to come out. <laughs> All right. Well, then. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Travis, you have said that you were just, you're, you're more or less just completely new to Commander. Like, but how long have you been playing actual Magic? I've been playing Magic since Revised, and Limited yes. is kind of my competitive thing. So, I've, and I've been playing competitively with that for about four years now. And I still call myself new to Commander because my idea of building a deck is basically to play for those videos I make with Derek, Tom, and Archie. And it's usually j- just searching through, like, I made a Rubiana Soul Singer deck, I've used her as my commander, and then everyone else in the deck were people that were part of her band. So any of the horns, any of the dancers, like, just stupid cards like that, that's the kind of decks we put together for those videos. Yep, but you specifically asked for some helps and tips for learning how to build the EDHs. Yeah, and that that's my reasoning is because so far my decks have been, okay, let's put in all the cats. Okay, let's put in everything that has to do with a band. I'm like, there's probably a better way to do this and make an actual competitive deck, and I don't know what it is. Not according Tra- to Judson. Travis, I don't I don't see the problem, man. <laughs> all is well. Yeah. So if you made a Rubinia Soul Singer deck with a band, I think I think you won, man. I think you need to start teaching us something about Commander. <laughs> All right, so that's going to be the theme of today's episode. We're going to help Travis out with some quick primers and crash courses on deck building in case he wants to make the decks run a a little more competitively. Well, first things first, EDH Roto. We're going to be talking about that. So stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Woo! Yeah, transition... But, of course, it's mandatory that we bullshit for about, like, three, five minutes. Transition. <laughs> it's your birthday. <laughs> All right. You guys are going to have to explain this to me, because I, like, everything that's not chicken makes no sense with the word rotisserie in front of it. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. So <laughs> Don't worry. This is all covered in our community segment today. Awesome. So much, Sweet. So, so much in- transition dangly bits. Woo! <laughs> All right, so I want to say a few months ago, Tom sent me an invite to join, and of course by Tom, I'm talking about NDG Radio, he sent me an invite to join the EDH Rotisserie Draft, part of which Travis was also. So, Travis, let's go ahead and tell the people a bit about what this was. What exactly was the EDH Rotisserie Draft? Well, as, as I understand it, there was a modern rotisserie going draft going on um, where a group of people got together and basically drafted cards for modern. And a group of EDH players got the idea, why don't we do this for EDH? And once Tom got involved, he invited me as well from our connection with the videos. 
But the, the basic concept of an, a rotisserie draft is you're drafting from an entire format rather than from packs, and it's going to kind of go around like a snake. So, like, the first person will make their first pick, they can pick anything, so on down to the eighth person, who then gets two picks, and then it'll snake back around to the first person. Does that make any sense? Yeah, so, I get that. Yeah, it's basically kind of like sports drafting, right? Like, yeah. you got one sports person. Sports ball. Yeah, sports ball. Sports ball. Sports ball. Only instead... Only instead of the it looping around to whoever had the first pick in the first round, you go to whoever had the last pick automatically makes the first pick for the next round. It just goes yeah. back and forth like that. Like, you go across the table, one through eight, and then you go eight to one, and then you go one to eight, and then eight to one. You just go back and forth if you have eight people. Alternatively, let's use us four. It goes me, Clay, Mark, Travis, and then after Travis is done picking, he gets to make another pick on the wheel, so then it goes Travis, Mark, Clay, me. Are you following this, Mark? Yeah, I think. I have to explain that I'm I'm probably like, ooh, I mean, I, I haven't gotten in a really bad accident lately, but I feel like that's what I look like when I try to draft anything. So, <laughs> like, I just sit there and I stare at my cards and I start to stutter. Maybe I drool a little bit. I don't know. Which is why I prefer sealed, rather, because then I can just put all my cards in a pile and be awesome like that instead of, like, actually having to make decisions. Like, drafting hurts my head. <laughs> I used to love sealed, but lately I just, I'm just so bad at it. I need to practice more. How can you be bad at sealed you just open packs and put 40 of them together like hell even i can do that because i'm too i I don't know like i feel like i'm too conservative when i'm actually building my pool like i'll be like okay these cards are are okay we can go ahead and put this together this looks relatively safe but then you're fighting against people and you remember oh right everyone gets to play with the bomb Eh, I mean, if they pulled it, you know. I think I think the closest thing is everybody gets to fight with a bear in Sealed. Like, yeah. you know you're going to get some bears. The you la- don't know you're going to get some bombs. <laughs> the last Sealed game I played I was a Dragons of Tarkir event on Mitgo. And I believe right before he curb-stomped me, he had a Tarka World Renderer, Ojutai, and more different Atarka on the field at the same time. Oh, God. <laughs> and, that sounds and, dreadful. Jesus. <laughs> the good news is I was recording it. The bad news is I can't find the files. So my live react- reactions are lost forever. Man, like That's I unfortunate. I, I just, the, the Ojutai hitting you twice sounds so dreadful. There, especially in Limited. Yep, but what's even... Oh, man. Just, ugh. But... Tell me you top-decked Crux of Fate, destroyed all dragons. No, <laughs> no my, my deck wasn't as awesome as that. My deck did have two Zergos, though. Bell Strikers. Oh, ring them bells. Yes. But, oh, right, back to the EDH rotisserie. So, well, with this going on, everyone's making their picks. Everyone's kind of feeling each other out. We had some great times in there. We had some great comments being made as people started t- stealing picks from each other, didn't we? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And people are giving each other a lot of crap over, you know, you picked this, I wanted this. And the the comment section on that was quite hilarious. And it was even, for me, a little bit more of a challenge than a regular draft. I'm used to looking at a, a pack of 14 or so cards and to trying to determine what's the best one for my deck. Here, it's all of everything that's in Commander. That's what I'm picking from. <laughs> yeah. Right. We've got people first picking, like, I think Archie grabbed Tooth Nail, right? Yes. And then we have Kiki Jiki go- going, Omniscience went, you know, Soul. I got second pick and I grabbed the Soul Range just because it was open. I think, we'll see, what was the first one? Mana Crypt? Uh, Mana Vault was first pick. Mana Vault, <laughs> right. Oh, man. Like, just everyone grabbing the most powerful of all things. I, except for me. I went straight for Lazav. Everybody's like, you don't have to take your commander first. I'm like, I know, but I want to. <laughs> you planted that flag hard. Yeah. 
So what eventually ended up happening was we were then sorted out into like two pods just randomly. Everyone played the, their games, and the winner of those pods would advance to the finals. Then we had the last three people from each of those pods play a game so that one more w- winner from each pod would, again, go to the finals. Mm-hmm. We ha- we ended up having Tom, Jason, Archie, and Adam in the final pod, which meant that me and Travis were fighting with Daniel and Dash in the loser's pod. <laughs> and that makes me first loser since I died first in that pod. It was an excellent experience. <laughs> but that, that's, again, why I said I, I might need some help deck building. Um, but I, I think I was kind of representing the casual player in this draft in that everybody else went to some extent a little bit on the spiky side. And I just kind of wanted to take Lazav and see how many fun interactions I could cram in a deck. To some extent, I am still adamant that my Ashland pick was very well done in that second round. I just I had, think so. I had, I just had the misfortune of fighting a Miation Cage. Like, how am I supposed to fight through that? <laughs> uh, this was a, a very spiky draft. We were fighting stuff like Joker Hops, and we had Cyborg cards like oh, Anarchy. Was not, was not expecting the Anarchy. No one expects the Anarchy. It's supposed to stay in the UK, but here it was. <laughs> but, um... I'm assuming that's a banjo. Come on, really? No, come on. You got anarchy you got in the UK, one. man. Come on. I've never heard of it. Sex Pistols. I've heard. Of, I've heard of sex, sex Pistols, but I never actually heard them. Really? Oh, man, look. Okay, there's only one Sex Pistols album. Actually, there, there should don't. There's only one Sex Pistols album. <laughs> I mean, it, so just just buy it, listen to it. It's one of those things you need to do, man. Those those are one of the albums that you really need to have. So, so getting back on topic, Travis, who do you feel had like the best deck among all of us? I was really impressed with Archie's deck, and that that may be because the round two pod, he just destroyed Daniel and I so fast. Yeah, I think I was like, that was one of the few games I actually got to watch live. Yeah, it, it was just an absolute beating. He had the commander that lets him play extra lands, ramps out huge, terrible things, and then destroys us all with Greater Hoof Behemoths. Basically, he was the only one drafting any green cards, so he didn't have to fight anybody for anything. He just got everything he wanted. Whereas I was trying to plant a flag early with my commander, and it was actually a strategy, like, hey, guys, I'm going to play blue and black. Maybe the people next to me should not do that. And they said, no, nah, we're just going to go hard and take all your cards. <laughs> mm. Yeah. The people is- not really picking up on draft signals, huh? I mean, they have perfect information, but... True. But Azusa's just getting all the things. Like, the only competition RG had for green was me, because I was playing Sigarda. But I was focusing almost exclusively on the white cards at first. And Yeah, I, was, I didn't even know you were green for a while. Yeah, like, I grabbed Sigarda after a while, but everything I was grabbing was mono-white after then. I could have just gone into, the, like, my Avacyn shell. Mm-hmm. Literally, everyone was just fighting over Grixis. <laughs> Although, amazingly enough, we had, let's see, there was Archie, and then I think it was, no, it was Bash who went mono-red. So I could have just stayed mono-white, we would have had three mono-color drafters. But then again, this is also EDH pool, so you can literally grab any card out of existence. And some surprising cards were grabbed. There were several that I'd have to go look up after somebody grabbed them, like, what, what does that do? <laughs> yeah. Was that... Were there any picks that you were actually uh, a little bothered by, bothered by because everyone was trying to be so spiky? Oh, no, not at all. I I knew going into this that I was entering a competitive environment. Uh, I was bringing a knife to a gunfight <laughs> and not, like, upset about it or mad about it or anything like that. Like I said, I just wanted to see how many fun interactions I could work out with Lazav and be that guy in the corner making weird plays. Yeah. I feel like if I were to do something like this, I'd probably pick some obs- really obscure combo that people don't really know about to try and build around. Just so there wouldn't be really a chance at someone like hate drafting stuff out. See, I thought about doing that. Like, I've got the Draco Genius with the Eye of the Storm combo I run, but then Jason grabbed the Omniscience, I think, pick one or two. It was one. Mm. It was one. There we go. 
Who knew that playing cards for free would be awesome? I just wanted to mill people. Just wanted to mill. People. <laughs> I know. I know that feeling. Like it's it's a struggle. It's a struggle to make mill working commander. See, like it, the draft thing, I think would just I don't want to say stress me out, but it would bother me, man. Like. Because everyone, like, then you just, like, you know, start hate drafting what somebody else is going, if you know what they're going for and you know what's in the pool, you know? Like, I don't know. Like, I kind of like to just bring derpy stuff to the table. And I guess, but, but hey, that's okay. I mean, I've never tried it, so maybe it's awesome. Yeah. You see, the Jack, well, go ahead, Travis. I was going to say, the fun part about it is that you end up playing with cards that you might not play otherwise, because if you are having to compete with people, like, in my experience, building a commander deck, there's usually a best version of some type of effect or card, mm-hmm. and if you'll, you'll always play that one. But in this scenario, if somebody's already taken it, you, you kind of got to go deep to find something to do what you need done. And that's part of what I really liked about the deck that I was drafting, right? Like, I knew that if anyone figured out that I was on the Enchantress plan, and they just wanted to hate out, like, the most powerful auras, like your Daybreak Coronet or whatever mm. i was i wasn't aiming to run any of those like i was going for like the theros bestow guys and maybe pick up like rancors and armadillo cloaks early but everything i was getting was like out of theros block mm. hmm. right. i would say it was a great experience and it was a lot of fun to play the games and i especially liked the way everybody got together and set up the commentary for it yeah i, I was, was handled really well yeah uh we did it a little we did we had like a Simul streamy thing the first time that we did my pod, but I liked how Tom ended up setting up a lot better. Yeah, that it was actually entertaining to watch. Like as soon as I I lost, I was there watching the finals and enjoyed the commentary quite a bit too. So it was very well put together. Yep. In fact, we will have links to both the losers finals and the winners finals in our show notes. Yay! Yay! You can go watch those losers. Yeah. And watch new losers be born. And then you can watch Travis win. <laughs> First of the losers. I mean, that's what the chat says. Chat claims that Travis won our pod, so that's what happened. Clearly. Clearly. <laughs> Revisionist history. Yeah. Although I'm kind of bothered by the fact that every time I actually played Sigarda for this, we ended up having to restart the match. <laughs> there was something to that, yeah. Like, get, like, game one, drops Sigarda, gets up down, Jason goes, super obliterate everything with Narset. Everyone gets super salty because this is like turn four or six or something like that. We're just mm-hmm. like, this wasn't a whole lot of fun. Do you guys just want to start over so we can try and get a game out of this? So, we go ahead and do it. We hash out our expectations for the game and admit that we sign up for an anything goes pod before going at it again. Game two. What's important to do with the playgroup, whatever it is, is kind of establish what's cool to do in the group, you know? Yeah, like, you and I had the same mentality that we would kind of be on, like, a lower power end, Mm. and that everyone else was grabbing, like, the most powerful things, but I think it took a minute for everyone to just kind of accept that this is what we had created. Mm. Like, yeah, Yoko Hops is going to be a thing. Oh, Yoko Hops. And there may or may not be an Ugin standing at the end of it. (laughs) (laughs) You don't mess with the Ugin. No. And then game three, we had that whole thing with Dan's computer messing up. Mm-hmm. And like, ooh, I was so close. Like, I was primed to win that game, too. Yeah, based on the commentary, you had everybody's butt kicked, and then Moto is a quality program. Moto is, in fact, the best program to play magical cards on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you've got me there. <sighs> so that was the EH Moto. Clay, Mark, did you have any other questions that you wanted to ask, anything like that? How do you think this would work in reality, man? Would it just be a pain in the ass to set up a cube like that? 
Like I have every single draft. card legal in the format. Yes. No, not, maybe not every single card, but you know, like a sizable amount that you could have. Like how many players do you guys have? We had a. We just had eight. Okay, so if you had an eight-player card, like think of it like a like a draft cube, like other people set up a cube. Like how much of a big pain in the butt do you think it was? Would this be to do in I don't know in in paper magic? It depends on if you have like the actual cards available for or just able to make proxies for the people who want stuff that you don't have on hand. Like if you mm-hmm. get like I think it would actually be really awesome to get like you and your friends meet up at like someone's house, you host like a party or maybe at the game shop. You just get like a big spreadsheet or projector on the wall or maybe you get like a dry erase board and then you can just go ahead and make picks right there and then. Because what we were doing with the Roto Draft was that we were basically playing phone tag, paging each other when their picks were up. So I would get paged, hey, it's your pick. I would go in, make my pick, go back to whatever I was doing. Then later that day, I'd be making my second pick because I was near the end cap. And then I just wouldn't be paying attention for like the next three days while we wait for time zones and all that. Yeah, and you'd absolutely have to do it with a spreadsheet or something like that and, you know, a copy of Gatherer open. I envision some people running out a huge tournament hall to lay down face-up copies of every card in the format, and that, while interesting, is probably not very viable. Yeah. Yeah. We also had, like, the issue, like, Travis, you went on vacation at some point. Yeah. Um, I thought it was going to take us a couple days to do the draft, but it actually stretched out over three weeks, and I had a trip planned. So at that point, I knew that Archie was in green and not competing with my cards at all, so I emailed him my pick list and let him finish up the last 20 or so picks. <laughs> Look, Travis, I don't know if you heard what I said about vacations before, but like, <laughs> there's there's magic to play, man. All right? Let's, let's get serious. Let's get your head in the game, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I clearly misplayed there. Obviously. Going to we'll drink, let it slide. Uh, margaritas on the beach in St. Martin was way worse than figuring out the spreadsheet. <laughs> right. Way worse. Of course. So, of course. How dare you? I mean, it actually was, to be fair, as soon as I got there, I came down with strep throat, and I spent the whole time in the mm. hotel oh. reading a book and wishing I had internet access so I could finish the EDH Roto Draft. So it was a clear misplay. <laughs> Oh, that sucks. Dang. Oh, come, come on, come on, Travis. Don't be rotty. <laughs> All right. So that was the EDH road draft. I loved it. I had lots of fun. And I think we might have some temp- some tentative plans to do another one soon. Right, Trav? I certainly hope so. If there's another one, I want to be involved in it. And I'd encourage the other two of you to get involved, too. Like, it was, it was, I didn't know what I was signing up for, much like that first game of Commander I played, but it was a hell of a lot of fun. You see, what we could do for, with us Commander Cast staff, we could actually just do a Commander Cast staff roto draft. That would be really cool. That would be. Like, I just got to find out how Tom set everything up on his end, and we just need to find someone to actually help with our hosting slash actually host commentating. And we could get, yeah. this would be awesome. And then I need to look up, you know, Actually, how to use Magic Online. That because, too. You know, oh, it's very user-friendly. You won't have any trouble at all. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. So um, this might this might be the time where I have to tell you that, like, me and me and Grandpa Gross have been trying to do some video stuff on the site. It took us two hours to trade some cards back and forth just to make decks. Two mm-hmm. hours. Like, two educated people sitting down, like... Try going back to no road. You click this, no, you click that. Okay, no, what is this? It, like just trading goddamn cards, like something you could do. It would have taken us what five seconds in real life to just like hand off boxes. Two hours, man. Two hours of my life. I can't get back. 
on the plus side, when we get the Patreon going, and I've made sure that the website is stable, part of what I plan on using that funds for is to supply the people participating in videos with actual cards with those funds. Oh, so like getting tickets for people to build stuff in Magic more like, and stuff like that. More like using actual said money and then buying them off of like uh, Moto Traders. Because that's what I did mm-hmm. when I was get, building my deck. I built the deck based on how much it would actually cost because I didn't want to borrow an athlete of cards from someone and then have mm-hmm. to keep it all. <laughs> Which, yeah. which, Jason, thank you, because Jason lent me his Sigarda, which I actually forgot to pick up in my massive order from Moto Trader. Yeah, and that's expensive, right? Like, that's that's good, like, ten bucks online. You know, it's not insignificant. No, it's not. I mean, I still have to pick up an actual Sigarda so I can do Sigarda videos on my own later, but, you mm-hmm. know. Actually, I did really enjoy the fact that I can just go to mototraders.com, click on cards, order them, and just pay cash before just picking up my order on Moto. That's sweet. Like I'd rather just ever use that before. Like I'd rather just save my tickets for paying for drafts. And I, I, you know, that's another good thing about having a close group that you play with is Archie has let me borrow tons of cards for the commander videos when I needed something that was a commander staple that I just didn't own. He's been very willing to say, "Here, grab it, put it in the deck, just trade it back afterwards." Mm. Yep. So once we actually get people, get our guys on the go, then we can go ahead and set something up, up like that. And that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have no problem with, with trading cards back and forth, too. It's just like, it literally is a time investment. I do not know what you have done, Moto, but you have uh, totally cocked up a, a really easy thing, which is just trading cards back and forth. I can trade them with yeah. bots like it's going out of style, man. Like, tickets for bots, man, they got that thing down. In and out, I can build a deck without, with cards I don't have inside of, like, five minutes. Tops. But, like, trading cards with actual human beings, next to impossible. Especially if you're doing, like, 100 singleton. It's like, pfft. Forget it. Magic Gathering Online. We're a quality program. <laughs> They've come a long way, and I, I, I'm one of the few people that I know that still has a little bit of faith left. Maybe I'm a little bit too optimistic, but the best thing I can say about it is that all of those things get better as you go, as you get used to them, which mm. is kind of a horrible way to explain it. But like the, the more you interact with the interface, the more sense it starts to make. But, uh, they, they've got some improvements to do for sure. No, that's definitely true. I was scared to death of that, of trying to actually build any sort of collection online until I discovered how to just acquire cards. Thanks to Tom's video, how to build decks on Moto. Hmm. Like, like that was actually a very informative thing. Maybe we should put you in the show notes somewhere. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's a great yeah, idea. I'd like to watch that. Yep. Sure. But that was our talk on the EDH Roto catch-up. Next, incidentally, Travis. Yo. Our friend ended up winning it all, didn't he? Yeah, Tom took it home. I was super happy for him. Yep. And, and kind of not surprised, because Tom wins a lot of the games that we play in our, our four-man pods. Because usually Derek and I show up with something silly and we kill Archie fast. So it... It was not a surprise to me to see Tom win. Yeah, like I was listening to his commentary on our game, and he just kept naming off every play that I was considering or think about as we get got to those points in the video. Like, yeah, and when I when I watched mine, you would see him make comment on a very good play that I could make, and then I'd pretty much do the opposite. Yeah, like like <laughs> like Tom saw that you could have reanimated the Quasali Pride Mage to stay to stay alive that turn, and I made and I had no idea. Yeah, like I made like I was thinking about that that whole time. I was thinking like, well, Travis could just reanimate the Pride Mage. I was like, well, I guess the only play here is to just play it and hope he doesn't see the line. <laughs> That's usually a pretty good play when you're going against me and Commander. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and get you some street smarts then. Next up, we're going to go into our strategy segment, and we're going to help provide some insight on how to build something of a more cohesive EDH deck. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. we have time for a quick potty break? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Okay, <laughs> BRB. That's what these transitions are for. 
So, today we're going to help Travis learn how to build some more cohesive and more competitive style decks. Because, Travis, the decks you build sound amazing. Like, Rubinia Soul Center in a band, that is awesome. But Judson would totally 100% approve of theme decks like that. But if what you're looking for is just kind of more of a, in a traditional deck-wise, well, you're in the right pl- place for that. So yeah, how do I build a good deck? <laughs> <laughs> so... Let's go ahead and define good real quick. We're not talking about, like, super spiking competitive, right? Like, we're just looking to get a deck that can play, can compete, and it's just more functional than anything else, right? Yeah, yeah something that, that has some internal synergy is, I guess, what I'm looking for, rather than I'm going to pick Karanos as my commander and then find all the cards that have anything to do with Storms, which was my latest offering. <laughs> Oh my god, I would t- I love that Storm deck. Like, that's the only time Storm is okay in EDH. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> did, did you also, Travis, this is an important consideration, man. Did you also only pick Islands from Innistrad that had the little Storm in the background? Or uh, the ones from Time Spiral mm. that have that really one. cool lightning bolt? Yeah. This is important, I, man. I think I did the ones from the dual decks, Jace versus Chandra. Oh, yeah, those ones they, are good, too. They looked cool. But, yeah, we've, we've next leveled it. I have to go make some changes to that deck, obviously. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go ahead and turn the question to Mark and Clay, because if I go on, I'll go on forever without actually saying anything. So, guys, where do you guys start with when you want to start building a new deck? I like to start with some sort of concept, like whether it's building Karanos with all cards that have to do with Storms, something flavorful or something functional. Like, okay, so my own Karanos deck, I built it as kind of a burn control deck, which was the original, like, functional concept that I chose. Whereas when I built Sedisi originally, it was thematic in that it was zombie tribal. Something like that. And I generally just, like, go through databases and search for keywords for cards that I might want to include, and I make a giant list, and... Depending on what that list ends up being, you might just have to cut a lot of cards. A lot of times I'll actually just start by looking at cards that I have on hand in the drawers and boxes that litter my house and try to put something together to take to the store for a test run. And then if I like the way that it plays, even in that most basic form, then I'll start like picking up cards to upgrade it and make it even better. Like... I, I guess that really is how my deck building process works, honestly, is I just pick a theme and I draft a list and I put it together and see how it does. So you kind of start in a similar manner to how I do, but it's more of an evolving thing. After mm. you've played some games with it, you're going to make some tweaks, make some changes, that yeah. sort of thing? A lot okay. of times it just depends on, like, I know the group of people that I play with and how their decks function, and so sometimes I may need to make tweaks to be able to compete better, or even in the original process, just be like, oh, hey, this is good against, like, 60% of the decks that I play against. I might as well put it in the deck. It's a function, like of, was, it's a function of meta, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. building Karanos, I had no qualms over slipping Blood Moon into the deck. Like... Yeah. Like, there's, um, a lot, there's a lot of people playing greedy mana bases in your area. Yeah, and even some that don't play greedy mana bases at all, but they have really problematic non-basics. One of my friends, Hayes and I's friend Alex, recently built a Hannah Ships Navigator Pillow Fort deck, and just because we have, like, four or five mono-red decks, he put in Glaciers, which is an <laughs> enchantment that costs, like, two white-blue upkeep cost of blue and white, all mountains are plains. So, like, it's basically a reverse blood moon to hose red decks. And it's just like, that is definitely a meta call. Right. And that's something to consider when building a deck. 
is who you're going to be playing it with. Yeah, that makes sense, too. Yeah, along those same lines, I play a lot of exile effects in my decks because the gods are really popular in my area. A lot of people like yeah. to play them as commanders. There's rarely a f- decks that that go without them. And I have one playgroup where one player loves to play his Shroom deck. And, of course, Shroom has all kinds of graveyard shenanigans with artifacts, and I need to make sure that those are gone permanently. Mm-hmm. Mark, what's what do you, what kind of tweaks do you make with your meta? With my meta, I mean, it's, it's kind of weird and sad because my meta kind of died recently. Like, the playgroup I was in just kind of, like, disintegrated, so now I've been trying to go back and, like, go back back to the, the LGS and find a new meta, you know, at least in uh, in paper, um, which is why I was saying it, it before, like, I'm trying to corrupt a buddy of mine to see if I can get him into magic again. So I'm, like, in, in the stages, like, creating a new one. So I guess, I mean, I don't I don't really have one. Before, my meta was super control-heavy, like Esper control, blue-black control most of the time. Um, so it for me, being a Timmy player, like, I was always, like, fighting the control route. So that was, you know, stuff I would have to consider as, like, most of my decks have a really low mana curve because I need to get there quicker. Like, if my, if, I would say three is, is what my decks usually curve out at. So, um, or like an average of three. Like, sometimes it goes up to like 3.5. Sometimes it might be down to like, you know, 2.9 something, but most of them are really in there. So. So, what we're getting, at, what we're getting at hit here, and I think this is a good way to sum up, is working on the way that you interact with other people is what's going to help your deck compete, right? Like, anyone could go ahead and come up with a combo that's kind of like Solitaire, where it's like, okay, I know what pieces to build my combo engine with, and all this awesome synergy stuff. Because, like, you've played limited games before where you have, like, engines built, right? Sure, sure. Yeah, like, you can do that. All you have to do is find some cards and find some sweet interactions. But in terms of making your deck play well with everyone else's decks, you figure out what you need to do answer-wise to interact with them. Okay, so I'm I'm really not that far off. No, you're really not. Okay. So, like, sometimes it's you have to change the type of, of answers you have. Like, maybe if you play against a lot of token stuff and a lot of p- decks that like to go wide with stuff, you include more RAS because that's what's going to help you stabilize and come back from those situations. But mm-hmm. if people are, are playing more utility stuff and going more tall with their threats, then you include more instant speed kill stuff like your classic Doomblade, only not Doomblade if you play in a black heavy meta. Okay, I'm starting to pick it up, so I, I, I don't think I'm that far off. One of the interesting things, I suppose, about the meta here is that imagine at a local game store, each person has their, their deck, whereas with ours, when we're recording the videos, everybody will try to bring a new deck each time. So it's it's hard to get a call on exactly what types of cards we're going to see, but I, I do know kind of the power level that the group expects us to bring. Ooh, that goes nicely into another topic. So, guys, we do get, the, get those occasions where we go off to a new game shop, we're going to a new game, game group, or we're building a deck for the first time, and we're not quite sure how people are going to react to it. There are a lot of just kind of catch-all answers you can, you can use, right? Like, there's Oblivion Arena Wide, there's Beast Within in Green. There's a lot of stuff that just says, hey, I deal with just anything. What kind of other things can we do, expect if we're going into, like, a new meta? Like, like how, what do you do to your deck to kind of make sure that it's ready for just kind um, of anything? I think it is mostly just, like, if you have leftover things from an old meta, um, like very specific answers that you have. Um, like, in Kirkash, I currently have a Curse Totem, which is an artifact that stop. It's the Linvala effect, but it affects everything. Um, so abilities of creatures can't be activated. Um, because there's like Muzio, there's Yisan, there's Hanna. There's a lot of things in my group that rely on activated abilities. And it's just kind of a very specific answer to a problem that I've run into. 
But taking out effects like that and putting in much more generalized things, if you have no clue what you're walking into, like... Would you say Torpor Orb? Um... Torpor, I okay. Like, like I, I, I'm on the fence about Torpor Orb. I, I am on. I am in the camp where don't be on the fence of, about Torpor Orb. Play Torpor Orb because in the in kind of like the overall feeling of the format as it is now, there are very there are a ton of like value based decks where like almost every creature in the deck does something else, usually as an enter the battlefield ability. I would say unless your deck plans to abuse ETBs. It's almost always worth running Torpor Orb into a blind meta, just because... Two out of four it, people are going to be trying to screw screw around with something that that'll hose. Yeah, like, but then again, you could also say the, some, the same thing about, like, Curse Totem, which is a much more specialized thing than Torpor Orb. But, like, if you're, if you're running white, you might as well run a Linvala, because it's a body that also has a relevant hosing ability. Whereas Curse Totem just kind of sits there and might just be a dead draw. Um, Something similar if you're looking at like Graveyard Hate. Yo, know, yes. you can run, you can always run Bajukabog in a deck that's running black. You, you can, can always run Torpor Orb. You can always run Relic of Progenitus. Um, some decks can run Deathrite Shaman. Just I'm things like Nile Spellbomb. Yeah, Nile Spellbomb yeah. is so super that's a sweet card. Yeah, because at the very least you can draw a card off of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in black. If you, but if it turns out you need more Graveyard Hate, then you have things that are also good with like Tormod's Crypt or the uh, ah, what was the two two for two that could exile for one. I feel like... Oh, um... Uh, Withered Wretch? Is it the zombie? Yeah, yeah, yeah Withered Wretch. Yeah. Something like that? Like, bare minimum, if you're building, like, a black tribal zombie deck, he slides right in, because he's a zombie. Yep. Pretty sweet. I prefer Deathrite Shaman, because I'm in multiple colors, but, hey. It's nice that that dude's under ten bucks now, too. That helps. Yeah. Deathrite? Yeah. He, he was, like, Ever since he got banned in Modern. That. I mean... <laughs> yeah, I know. He, That'll do it, right? I mean, he's still competing for, like, best one-drop Planeswalker. Oh yeah, <laughs> like Kithian. Kithian doesn't quite come close enough. Not quite. All right, so let's go ahead and talk staples. Staples often get a bad rep because you know sometimes you'll get people who it's just got great office supplies. I don't know what you're talking about. I was I, I love <laughs> Office Max. My girlfriend and I just went there this past weekend. It was awesome. Like I didn't buy anything, but I enjoyed geeking out over all the notepads and stuff. Yeah, it's great. But staples. If oh, wait. People... Can, can I can I add one more thing sure. into the uh, the how to teach people to build their first deck? Sure, go ahead. My my best advice would honestly be to put together something that you think would be fun to play. Well, see, I was often... gonna, see, I was. Did you think that we were moving on to techno- technology? Yeah. That, that, no, 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 this is still this is still strategy. Okay. Like I'm not going into specific staples. Okay. It's it's more kind of a PSA on staples in general. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So That's fine. well, let's go ahead and continue with your thing, and then I'll talk staples. Okay. Um, like my first actual EDH deck came about because. I had gone around to different stores looking for one of the Commander Precons a couple months after the original ones came out. Or maybe it was like a year, I forget. It was a long time. But the uh, the 2012 Plane Chase decks were out. And I picked up the Blue Black Ninja one, and yes. Veil of the Nightclad ended up being my first Commander. Um, and I just threw a bunch of stuff in that I thought would be fun to play, and I found people to play with, and I just played. And then you, if you like the Commander, then you can tweak it. And if you don't, then you can borrow decks from other people, play them, and see how they work out. Just have fun with it. Like, don't don't get too bent out of shape for building your first deck. That's just always a great answer. Just have fun. Yep. Yeah, like, and it's probably not going to be very good, and just own it. Oh, yeah. Fun. Yeah. Like, 
It's fine, because no one's first deck be. is any good, you know? No. Right, my first deck was with the Awakener, with every dollar rare I had in my box that I was super excited to play, because this was supposed to be the format where I could play big stupid stuff. Yeah. Like, the deck had nothing to do with tokens. Yeah, my first deck was a Jorkadeen Boros deck that did almost nothing, so... <laughs> So, staples. It's great to have a theme, and it's great to have a deck that's built on synergies. I like to use the staples, quote-unquote, of EDH to help smooth over the game plan. Like, the thing about staples is that people will complain about how they're included in every deck and how they're boring and stuff like that. But that's why they're staples. Yeah, that's why that's why they're staples. Rather than using them as the backbone of your deck, use them to kind of hold things together. Like, the backbone of your deck is going to be whatever theme you're building. Like, if you want to build Rubinia has a band and that's all that, that's awesome. That's a really cool idea. But we need to make sure that the deck is functional. Otherwise, if you're there playing cards that don't do anything, you start to feel miserable because it's like, well, I wanted to play EDH, but I guess instead I'm playing, well, I really need to get to six lands but I can't do that. Right. Yeah. So that's where we include stuff like Cultivate and Kadama's Reach because they help fix your mana and they help you actually play Magic. If I could add, like, one thing that I think would help people with their first deck, I remember I had an old journalism teacher one time who would tell me that if you can't sum up what your article is trying to say in a sentence, you're doing it wrong. So when I, <laughs> when I build my deck, I always try to do two things. One, I try to sum up the game plan in a sentence. Like, this, I finish the sentence, this deck does or is supposed to do blank, whatever blank is. Right. And then second question is, I have to answer is, how does this deck win? Like those two <laughs> that's things That's the one together, I've been forgetting to ask. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, those two things are, and that's top, right? Like, because my, like the last deck I built from scratch was my Ramsey's Overdark deck, right? <laughs> And first of all, you know it's going to be bad because this Ramsey's Overdark. So what does that deck do? It wants to put enchantments on other people's creatures and fucking kill them. He's a badass assassin. <laughs> Alright? So that's that's what you do, right? But Ramsey's Overdark is a six-mana like casting-cost creature who's probably going to get blown up the minute I put like an enchantment on anything, right? So that's probably yeah. not going to win. So you got to throw in, maybe not a staple, but like you know, you got to throw in other things to make sure you get there. So like if it's an enchantment-heavy thing, like Throw in a pretty awesome colorless enchantment, like uh, the the giant Eldrazi uh, Annihilator one. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, like, that one's pretty good. Like, that'll get you there, you know? Um, Eldrazi Conscription, right? There we go. Yep, yeah. Eldrazi, I don't know why that one just blanked out of my mind, right? But, so, like, that's that's the thing you gotta you gotta do. You know, even in my, um, like, my Doran deck, which I'm, I hate when I get, this side tangent, but don't you guys hate it when you get down to, like, 104 cards? And I yeah. can see what I got. It, it feels like I'm, like, I don't know, like, peeling my nails off or something to get those last four cuts in. Yeah. It's the worst. So that's why I am with Doran, but, like, my Doran deck, Deck is my Doran Walls attack deck. Like, it's basically Rolling Stones, the deck, you know? So, and, like, that's what I want to do with it. I want to make Walls smack people in the face. But yeah. like, Doran's probably not going to get there on his own, but the way he he can win is I threw a bunch of Pestilence effects in there, you know? And, like, it gave me an excuse to run, like, Cyclone. <laughs> so, you know, like, most of my creatures have big enough butts that they're going to survive a couple rounds of Pestilence, but I know everyone else's probably won't. So I can clear fields and just smash people in the face with the butt end of the wall, I guess. Like, yeah. that's how that deck wins. It might not do it very well. Like, I have yet to win a game with my Ramsey's Overdark deck, but it's still fun. Like, it's still capable of winning. You know, the worst thing is, like, I remember I built an Aloro deck one time, and I literally, I drew, I don't know, 60 cards at once with Necropotence, because my life total was redonkulous, and out of those 60 cards in my hand, I didn't have a win con. Like... <laughs> 
I was so excited to draw cards. I didn't, like, I, there were, like, 12 cards left in my library. I'm like, man, I hope the win con's there. And I just had a buddy of mine staring at me across the table. He's like, just win this fucking game already? God damn it. Like, I don't, ha- I don't have a win con. I only have 60 cards in my hand. So, you don't want to do that. So. Oh, man. When we're talking about staples, staples can actually be molded to fit what your deck is trying to do. Like, Mark was talking about how he has all these effects that don't hurt him as much as the other players because his creatures can survive. And, you know, with my target deck, I built it along the same lines. Like, I got X Wrath effects as my born sweepers because my dragons are big enough to clear that. Whereas, otherwise, I'd be using, you know, stuff like Blasphemous Act, stuff where it's just legitimately a Wrath. If I can, yeah. if I can find a way, if I can pick the staples that kind of work asymmetrically for me, that's what's going to give my deck the best synergy to work with those staples. Similarly, if you're looking at, like, ramp spells, you know, like, we have three different ways to ramp. You can use mana dorks, artifacts, or a land ramp, or any combination of the three. If your deck is like my Derevi deck, where there's a lot of focus on creatures and being able to untap stuff, you want to focus on mana dorks. And my Fraley's deck is the same way. But with my Atarka deck, I want to focus more on land wrapping because the creatures are going to, are a lot more fragile and so are the artifacts. But in my meta, mm-hmm. lands are completely untouched. <laughs> Similarly, with Sharoom, you focus your ramp on the artifacts because there's already artifact Sharoomy shenanigans going on. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. You pick the things that work best for your deck. Also, you are allowed to. Also, you are allowed to respond. You don't have to be cute for responses. (laughs) Sorry, I was busy looking up. Can't touch this. Yeah. All right. There you go. Tra- Travis has got it done already. Yeah, he's like a member of the family. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> um, my my only thing about staples are sometimes sometimes there are just cards that do it better than any other card out there, and you, you just want multiple copies of them. And it's okay to just to just run them. Like when Source of Plowshares got re- reprinted in Conspiracy, I probably bought like five or six of them all at once because and they're still cheap. They're only like like two fifty, maybe three bucks tops. Um, <laughs> and they have the sweet new art too. So, but there's nothing better. Like, you can make an argument source the plowshares a path to exile. I personally don't mind if they gain life versus, you know, giving them a land. I probably have both in most of my decks that run white anyway, but I almost definitely have a source the plowshares. Um, just because at one white mana, what else is better removal? You know? Yeah. Like, there's, yeah, there's just some things that are, that are okay. Like, it's okay to run a soul ring in every one of your decks if that's your thing. I don't, only because I only have so many soul rings, and I just, um, I don't know, I'm just too lazy, I guess, to put them in other decks. Sometimes they don't work, like, if you need colored mana. But, I mean, again, at the one mana slot, what's better at making mana? Like, probably nothing better than soul ring. So, if you have a bunch of things... Mana crypt, because it's free. All right, yeah, all right, so... (laughs) If you're not made of money, <laughs> you know. Right. Well, and that's the thing is that you can get a lot of the staples on a good budget. Yeah. yeah because they've been reprinted so many times that you can usually find them pretty cheap. And you also Let's find... Let's see, Soul Ring. They're also just kind of innocuous ones that you get in, like, draft fodder or anything like mm. that. Like, Aaron and I did an episode where we copied... It, it, it was on Clonecast when we were copying limited resources. And we just talked about building decks out of draft fodder and just whatever you get out <laughs> of packs. And we actually had a good discussion about that. Like, Innistrad had a fun, ton of great, awesome stuff, which is spirits. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I just well, like, actually I rebuilt a survivor deck that I used to play against my horde deck out of nothing but Innistrad block. Like, <laughs> but it's only Innistrad block. Like, it's not shitty Innistrad block, but it's Innistrad block I have laying around. So, like, none of the really good angels are in there because they're all in other decks. So, like, you know, the power cards in there are like. I don't know, probably one of those goofy, like, you know, the old, like, put them up fisticuff, like, werewolves. I forget. <laughs> like, Instigator Gang, I think, might be one of the power cards in that deck. 
<laughs> so it's it's not a good deck, right? But it's, it can be kind of fun, so. Okay, so we hit the Staples part. What should we hit next? What else is there that you want, like to know about, Trav? Oh, I guess the last question I would have for this is, does it, because for me, it basically starts as a love affair with a commander. I find a commander, I'm like, I want to do something with that. Like, is that where you start, or do you start with, like, a an idea of what you want a deck to do and then try to find the commander that will fit with that theme? There are typically two ways that it starts. One is absolutely the commander. The command you see it you see it a lot with the moto meta, and I'm sure Tom's talked about it at some point. Whenever a new set comes out with new commanders, the meta just gets flooded with people trying out all that stuff. You know, Narset yeah. Narset got a reputation very quickly because everyone wanted to play the Narset into Omniscience and into the infinite super storm combo deck or whatever. Like yeah. like Judson hates that deck because he had to play it for I guess every game. Yeah, me too. The other point of it is to, is to come up with a theme and then look at what your options are for commanders and then pick out the one that what that works best for it. Like with my Jeskai deck, I had it built originally as just kind of this really cool equipment Sunforger deck. But before Narset came out, I didn't have a commander that I was happy with. Like, I was playing Numat because, well, he's not Ruhan, and he's not Zedrub, and those two guys don't really do what I wanted to do, so I guess I just default to Numat. But eventually, you might get see a commander come out where you go, oh my god, that's exactly the commander I was looking for, which is what happened with Narset. Because now I can play Narset, and she plays all of my equipment for me. Like, I don't have to actually worry about this super expensive stuff and a deck that doesn't ramp well. Okay. So one day they'll make my legendary elephant and my tribal elephant deck can be a thing. Absolutely. Yes. It's called Misform Ultimus. <laughs> hey, they made a legendary rhino, you know, for Rune. So. That was just kind of an insult to all of us elephant fans out here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the zoo deck should be a thing, man. I was I mean, actually looking at a bunch of those, like, those old, like, I think for, like, Mer- Mercadian Mass, like, make elephant tokens today for my Reese the Other 99 deck. I'm like, these things are so cool. Why don't I make more elephant tokens? Actually, that's one of the cool things about, like, the Commander product, is that they will make commanders that suit things that people want. Like, with the 2013 commanders, the shard ones, I got the distinct impression that all those commanders were built because there were decks out there that wanted that effect for that kind of deck, but they didn't have a commander that just naturally fit there. Like, everyone has has played or seen the Bant Blink value deck, Mm -hmm. but there was never a, a hard commander for that deck. Like... Uh, Brian, ISP Pathfinder on the Salvation Boards, he runs a Janara deck. Rune, but it's like a Janara Blink. Yeah, it's Janara Blink deck. Like, it's exactly mm-hmm. the kind of deck that you would see Rune players play, but his commander was Janara because Janara was just kind of a generically good commander who would be good independent from the deck. Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, it depends. I think this is almost like a chicken or the egg question. You know, what comes first, like your idea for a deck or like a commander that fits that idea? Like sometimes there are just ideas that I like. Like one of the things I really dig is uh, like Carlos does this uh, a bunch over at Gathering Magic. And he used to do a little bit here on the on Commander Cast too. He'll take an idea from another format that he really wants to play in Commander, like Reanimator. Or one of my favorites was he did a thing on eggs, like the old Legacy Eggs deck. And like yeah. how to port it into Commander, like, and that was just so amazing to me. Like, so I have I have a Glissa Eggs deck, and I have a Sadisi Eggs deck that I need to revamp a little bit, uh, which comes directly from that because I'm like, oh my god, you can do that with those Commanders. Or like, like I'm a big Reanimator fan, and uh, like sometimes people get all salty about different Reanimators because you basically had to play black until Felden came along, and now you can play like a mono red Reanimator deck, um, which is just cool, right? And there's like, oh my god, now that's like 
like one of my favorite decks to play because I can play Reanimator, but people can't get salty at me because it's like, look, dude, like I'm not dumping huge things in the yard and reanimating them. I'm just making artifact tokens of them. Duh. So mm. it's not the same thing. It's like a cyborg deck. You know, sorry. It's two different things. Yep. And, so, <laughs> and then, uh, before Gate Crash came out, I decided that I was going to have a commander deck of each color combination. And that's what my limit would be. Like, right now, I've got all 26 decks, and I love them each. I've been tuning these for quite a while. But back then, I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do with green-red. So when Gate Crash came out, I just kind of grabbed Bubble Rigmos, and I just tried out <laughs> everything. Like, I, like until Otarka came out last year in Fate Reforged, I didn't know what the hell I was doing with red-green. And that was starting to frustrate me. It's like, well, I kind of want to just play big, rampy dinosaurs, but at the same time, Rawr. there aren't... Yeah! Like, there Rawr. aren't cards that really facilitate that. Like, the commander is frustrating like, to me. Like, Bobarigma, like Tom loves his Bobarigma's deck, but it doesn't work for me. Like I am, I love mine. Yeah, like, I don't want to do the Bobarigma's Life in the Loam Throw Mans at People's Faces deck. I don't want to do the original <sighs> one. so fun, though. And it looks fun, and like for some people that works, but that uh, that's also just more of a lands deck and not the big stupid dinosaur deck that I wanted. But then a target comes out, and suddenly it's like the clouds part. It's like, oh god, I can just play a big stupid dragon and then just eat people, and it's brilliant. And now it's one of my favorite decks. Yep. A little bit off topic, but one of my favorite EDH games I've ever played was a two-headed giant EDH game where we decided that Tom and Derek were going to take, uh, one of them would have Ravnica, one of them would have Return to Ravnica block, and then me and Archie were going to take, one of us would play Mirrodin, the other Scars of Mirrodin block. And wouldn't you know it, Tom and Derek both showed up with Borborygmo decks. <laughs> <laughs> so like well, we should have seen this coming. Two headed giant, they're both playing Borborigmus. It, it it was it was a thing of beauty. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you end up doing? Uh I played uh Glissa, the black green one. Yeah. And tried to get some synergies going there, and Archie had a terrible mono blue Memnarch, I think it was deck. It, it, no, no. Awesome it, is the word you're looking for, Travis. Awesome Memnarch deck. Yeah, doing terrible things to, to Tom and Derek was what we were going for. We ended up getting yep. mana screwed, and it wasn't as much fun as it might have been. But oh. it, I still just loved opening up the game and seeing both of them playing Borborygmos. And they'd taken the time to set their avatars to Borborygmos, too. <laughs> there we go. That's the commitment. That's the level of commitment I expect, Tom. Oh. Yeah, it was good. What do you got, Clay? Uh, well, I'm looking at the like, seven or so commanders that I currently have built. Um, and I realized that for almost all of these, it was, like, yes, there's a theme and concept around the deck, but it was mostly because I wanted to play that specific commander. Because, um, like, okay, let's see. Let's just go down the list. Uh, Lin Civi Defiant Hero is literally just Rebel Tribal, and there's literally no other way to play this deck than to have Lin Civi at the helm. Just because her abilities are so good. Borborygmos, I saw him spoiled and was just like, I want to throw lands at people. Uh, Sidisi was kind of an odd one because it was like, I kind of want to build Zombie Tribal, but I also want to build her. And so I decided on Zombie Tribal as the way to build her. Hmm. Kirkesh was, I, I built this deck because of the interaction between Kirkesh and Burnished Heart. Um, I saw someone do that and I fell in love with it, so it was definitely him. Uh, Krom the Donclad I had sitting around for a while, and when Theros came out, I was like, I should just build red or green, white enchantress, and Krom is really cool. And then Keranos was, I want to play Burn, so that one was functional rather than picking him, because I decided to add blue. And then Brago was originally Ixidor, and I just wanted to play with face-down creatures. Yep. So, so you're most very of much the time, a fallen I love start commander guy. Yeah, like, most of the time, it's the commander that begs me to build the deck. Other times, 
Like, very less frequently, it's the concept that tells me which one to play. Okay. Yeah, Aaron, I know Aaron is working on his deck projects, where his, where his goal is to have decks that do different things. Like, he was specifically making it so that the decks don't have any overlap at all. If he wants to play mm. a reanimator deck, he knows that he has this deck designated to be the reanimator, or this one's the yeah. combo, or this one's the control deck. With me, yeah. with me, it was out of an OCD compulsion to make sure I had all my colors covered. It's awesome. It was also actually just a really fun experiment to try and figure out what those colors meant to me. Yeah. And what they wanted to do. Yeah, that sounds like a, a great deck building exercise. Yeah, because like, you know, like Clay was saying, there's the Bowman throw lands at people deck, which is kind of a really cool value machine gun engine. But for me, Red and Green was just big stompy monsters, and nothing I played fit, fit that feeling until we got, we got big stupid dragons. And that made me so happy. <laughs> and, incidentally, I also really liked Mark's comment about how, you know, like Carlos would put over ideas, and that's what inspired him to build decks. Like, just mm. seeing what other people have done with commanders, or looking up lists, like if there's a commander you're interested in, look at going online to like the Salvation Forums and checking out their EDH database, and seeing what other people have done with that deck for inspiration. Like, when I first started, I used ISB Pathfinder Brian's Janara Blink deck as the base of my deck. And it looked cool, and it was powerful. But then I realized that Blink wasn't necessarily what I wanted to be doing with Ban. But it did inspire my kind of Fire Emblem-themed Derevi deck, where it's so... <laughs> Where it's, Sweet. where these days it's kind of like, it's a little bit Captain Sisse light, but it's also mainly Derevi. Yeah. And then of course, there's one of our flagship decks here on Commander Cast, the Ibnation deck. Like, <laughs> like, I was trying to figure out what to do with Model Red. Like, I kind of liked Jessica as the kind of controlly thing, like give her death touch, and now she can block two creatures every round. But that wasn't really working for me. Like, I wanted to just kind of do like the whole super aggro thing. And then I remembered that my predecessor, the previous host, Andy, had the the admission deck, so I went online to find his old deck list, and I made my own modification from there. Where his is a lot, where his is absolutely 100%. We're gonna go ahead and play this like a combo deck. Like he's including Tears of Rage and a bunch of stuff that only works when he goes on the offensive. I made mine a little more flexible by taking out those situational cards and going for cards that just gave the deck more overall power rather than just this boom, everyone's dead moment. But it still has that all-in feeling because I'm still sacking mountains and throwing goblins in people's faces. Well, and also <laughs> I think it's it's good to know that like the first round of a deck probably isn't going to be the final form of a deck if that oh, makes yeah. sense. Like to me, you know, I I just said a little while ago, like I hate that feeling when you get down to like 104, 105 cards of a deck and you're like, oh man, what do I cut? Because you just put all these cool things and you want all this cool stuff. And never cut lands. That's the other thing. Never, ever, ever cut lands. Don't, <laughs> yeah. don't cut lands for spells. Don't do it. Like, just make sure you, you, you put that in your head, first and foremost. I know you're just like, but I can just go down to like 36 and everything will be fine. No, nothing will be fine. Everything will suck. Don't do it. But anyway, <laughs> like, the final form of, of your deck is probably going to move around a little bit and it moves around with every different set. Like, I, I just recently started updating my Karn deck again because I got some sweet new toys in, um, Magic Origins. Like, Majoring responder like that big derpy seven drop like smash you in the face for seven like that thing's so going in there like the minute i get a hold of it you know even other little things like non-basic lanes that work out a little bit better like majoring network where i'm on the majoring kick you know like that's going in there because it's probably better than i don't know like ghost town or whatever non-basic crappy <laughs> land i was in so <laughs> for me it's, it's unknown chores 
Yeah, see, there you go. Like, it's just one of those things. Like, you have to kind of, like, your deck kind of moves around as it goes, you know, and sometimes it finds its, I don't know, sometimes it finds its niche without you even knowing it. Like, my my Carador deck started as, like, I just wanted to do, like, kind of other 99 from, like, a, a, a different a different deck I was doing, like a different kind of reanimator. And now it's morphed into kind of a toolbox deck. Like, I have, everything in there has a sacrifice effect on it, right? Hmm. But, you know, and, and sometimes I will just move it depending on... Like when new stuff came out, like recently I just took out Reclamation Sage and I put in the new Caustic Caterpillar because it'll kill stuff. <laughs> it'll kill stuff at the exact same cost, but then it'll also put it back in my graveyard so that I can cast it again. Yeah. So hmm. you know, like it, like little tiny tweaks like that, and you find it a little bit here. Like I put in the new Sedisi uh, instead of um, oh god, who's the the big fl- uh, Runescar Demon? You know, they do the same thing, but then he'll put them back in my graveyard so I can cast them again. So it's really yeah. just like I didn't envision that as a tool box deck, but now with everything that has this synergy, if it just goes back to my graveyard so I can cast it again, like, it's kind of morphed into, like, a really flexible, I'm sure what's really annoying to play against, like, junk color deck, you know? Mine, I actually had that same experience, similar experience with my Carador deck. Like, it started off as a Dredge deck, because I saw someone playing Dredge with it, I was like, oh, I get it, that's really cool. But after Titania came out in last year's Commander deck, it's kind of morphed into, like, this Life of the Loam deck, where it's playing all of this mill stuff with, and doing stuff with lands now because, like, I didn't have Glacial Chasm in the deck before Titania came out, but now Titania's in there, and now suddenly the deck has a, another angle to win by, which is hold up until I can get the Great Merchant of Athletal ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. so you never know. Like, when you first start building a deck, you should get to where you're happy with it, and then just be comfortable, try and be comfortable with the idea that it's probably going to morph into something a little bit different over time. You know, you like, might, I never know. You might say that you start off with the commander and telling them what to do, and then by the end, they've told you what to do. <laughs> That's a really good way to phrase it, Travis. Yep, I hadn't thought about it like that, but yeah, you're right. So the last thing I want to leave every, everyone with uh, before we move on to our next segment is I remember listening to Eric and Noel talk about deck building on Rivals Duel, which is which is another fantastic podcast that we release every other week. And something that Eric said really kind of stuck with me. Like, I don't have any new-ish decks that I can really apply this with, except for maybe the Orzhov and the Sidri deck, which are still works in progress. But he recommended ha- listing about 10 cards in your deck that can be kind of interchangeable to test stuff out with. He calls them his testing cards. Cards that, he's, cards he's, not, that he's not really sure about, cards that he wants to play with, but cards that he could also swap out for other stuff. So when you get down to, like, your 104, your 105, go ahead and earmark some cards that you can go ahead and swap them around with, you know, just to shake things up and try something else. All right. So that was a, a really good discussion. I'm really glad we had that. So next up, we've told you the how. Now let's tell you the what. We're going to give you a beginner staple box. So stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Does Lazav plus Gritting Totem count as technology? It counts, yeah, as sure. te- counts as technology, but not quite what we're aiming for for today. Although that was some pretty sweet tech. You guys are looking for, like, actual good stuff to do? This is more... This is I don't, more. <laughs> So guys, we all like we all we all love our tech segment. We all love the technology that we get to share about them. And for some of you who've been listening to a while, some of these things are more familiar than others. You know, there's some of the staples of Commander Cast. You know, your Nim's Death Mantle, your Isochron Scepter, your Sunforger, a lot of awesome stuff like that. But remember, 
There are players who don't really understand why Silverglade Pathfinder is really, really awesome. Hi. Exactly. So let's go ahead and just share some of some cards that we could, would consider quintessential for newbies to know about, if only so that they can play these and bring their decks up just that much further. So we'll go ahead and start with well, let's start, let's start with a bang, Vandal Blast. You know, my theme is going to be answers. You know, go ahead and help the newbies with cards that help them interact with your meta. You know, if you're playing in an artifact-heavy meta, then of course you're going to be playing Vandal Blast. It's the uncommon from Return to Ravnica. For one red, it's a red sorcery that says destroy target artifact. But when you overload it for five total, you get to destroy all the artifacts that aren't your own. If you're playing with, like, a lot of mana rocks, if you're playing with people who are doing Shroom, God forbid, then go ahead and let them know that Vandal Blast is a thing. Like, don't let these shenanigans go on to the point where what happened to me and Travis happens again. (laughs) (laughs) And if you don't know what I'm talking about, check out the video that we have in the show notes. So, Clay, what's your first recommendation? Um, my first recommendation, um, well, things that can be blown up by Vandal Blast, um, cheap mana rocks and color fixing, especially if you are playing decks that want more mana faster or playing multicolor decks, especially if you branch from two into three, maybe even up to five colors. It's really important to be able to have access to the colors that you need when you need them. So... They provide a lot of, like, color-fixing mana rocks, as we call them, at, like, common... They do, like, common or uncommon cycles of them in sets pretty frequently. The, uh, the most, like, the most iconic ones that I can think of for our format, though, are the Ravnica Signets. They're two mana rocks that you pay one and you tap it, and you make two mana of two different colors. So, like, a Demir Signet, because Demir is blue-black, you pay one and tap it, and you make a blue and a black. Um, these come down really quickly. They can help filter you out your colors. Like, let's say you're in blue, black, and green, and you only have forests, then it will provide you the blue and the black that you need to keep going. Um, clue stones from Return to Ravnica block are also pretty sweet, along with the key runes. They're kind of like spiritual successors to the signets. Um, the clan banners from Cons of Tarkir serve a double purpose. Um, they're like the clue stones where late in the game, if you don't need them, I, tra- I probably should have mentioned this. The great thing about the clue stones is that um, they cost three mana instead of two, but they come in untapped and they can tap for either color naturally. Then you can pay one of each color, tap it, and sacrifice it to draw a card, which is super sweet late game when you don't need that extra mana. The banners do that too, except it requires an extra color because you need all the clan's colors to do it. And then the last ones that I have to talk about here, um, Commander Sphere, Darksteel Ingot, um, both can tap for any color. Commander Sphere, you can sacrifice a draw card, and it taps for anything that you need it to tap for. And Chromatic Lantern also causes your lands to tap for any color, so then you don't actually even need to worry about what colors you can produce. Like, having access to these um, is pretty crucial to a lot of decks functioning well. My Sadissi deck runs 36 lands, and then three Signets, Commander Sphere, and Chromatic Lantern. So we've got, like, 41 mana sources in the deck overall. Um, not including mana dorks, actually, which are another set of things to know about entirely. I will say, with, with the clause, that you really want to consider your curve before deciding which uh, mana rocks you want to include. Oh, yeah. Like with Kalia, those three drop mana rocks don't do me a whole lot of good. because They're they, just too slow. Yeah, they're too slow. But the, Like, she's still coming down on turn four. But then with the Signets, she's coming down on turn three, which means that when turn four comes, she can start attacking, when otherwise she'd be coming out normally. Yeah. Alternatively, if you have a five-drop commander, then the Signets and the Banners and Clue Stones get really good. Yeah. 
it's all good stuff to know about. Yep. So, Mark, what's your first recommendation? Um, I kind of did a, a bunch of like series of cards or kind of cards here. Um, so my oh, first category, here. yeah, my first category would be alternate casting cost cards. Um, for instance, things like snag, abolish, snuff out, anything that reads you may do this thing instead of doing instead of paying the mana cost. So for instance, like one of my favorites is snag, which is just a fog. Um, really, so snag is three colorless and a green. For an instant, but if you're doing it right, you're never paying the three colors in the green. It just says you may discard a force from your hand instead of paying Snag's mana cost and prevent all combat damage that we dealt by unblocked creatures this turn. Um, so when it looks like you have defenses down, you, you, all you have to do is just toss a forest, play Snag, and be like, oops, I'm sorry. Did you did you want to kill me this turn? I don't think so. So those are really powerful effects. I mean, there's a reason why Force of Will is one of the best cards in the game, right? So anything uh, that says you could that, do that's, it. That's arguable. but <laughs> I say one of, not the best. You know, just one of. Um, there, Force of Will is actually a terrible card, but it's good because it's needed. And you draw a card. It's a completely different conversation that we're not going to get into right now. <laughs> to be fair, you're probably more likely to see Pact Negation. Oh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> no, I'll go. Maybe maybe my head meta is just like force of will heavy. Who knows? But anyway, anytime you can cheat a mana cost, like that's a powerful effect. So yeah. things like snag, abolish is a great one. Um, you foil. Know, Foil, yep, foil is yep. really cool discard too. Discard a discard a blue card and an island. Mm-hmm. Snuff out, which is you know pay four life instead of uh, paying the mana cost on it. Everybody has an extra four life sitting around. Sometimes you just need that non-black creature to die. So. <laughs> All right. So with our second round of suggestions, I'm going to lead off with the Fight Bear, Ubenwall Tracker. William, I yep. thought the first rule about Fight Bear was we didn't talk about Fight Bear. No, That's no, why no. no one knows about Fight Bear. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, like, come on. The Ubenwall Tracker Fight Bear. It's a card that I put in a lot of green decks because it has a very powerful effect unique to this color that helps cover something it doesn't normally do. And that's creature removal. For one green, you get a 1-1 one, one human that says for one end green, so that's two mana, tap, target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. Green has always had problems dealing with creatures. And one of the reasons that I dislike Song of the Dryad so much is because it's a way to, for Green to deal with creatures that doesn't really fit philosophically mm. with how R&D wants to design Green. <laughs> like, they want Green to deal with creatures using creatures. Like, the, c- come on, this is Mono a Mono, yeah. Survival of the Fittest thing. Like, this cheetah takes down that gazelle. The cheetah doesn't cast spells and throw fireballs at, at the gazelle. <laughs> Look, and man, greens, it's, well, we are not all on board here, man. It turns things into trees. That's awesome. Okay, um, so green's answers to creatures are bigger creatures. That that is the primary takeaway here. Right. Um, and and or trees, you would rather see you would rather see Lignify reprinted than Song of the Dryads existing. Right. Because at least it's taking advantage of the fact that there's a mistake already made and we're not going to make new ones. <laughs> but Does your play group call that turn to log or is that just mine? I call it turn to log. <laughs> okay. That's awesome. And, um, for for listeners who don't know, Lignify is a really sweet enchantment. Um, it's an enchant creature for one in a green. Um, enchanted creature is a zero four tree folk with no other abilities. So this I is believe. my tech segment, right? I know. I, I'm I'm just adding in another <laughs> no, green. It's good. I mean, creatures. we're doing this segment for new players, right? Like it's a good yeah. thing to play Reddit off for people who don't know. <laughs> yeah, it it shrinks it into a zero four, and it makes them lose all of their abilities. Now that the tuck rule is gone, it's a really good way to deal with commanders. Mm-hmm. It is. But what I like about Fight Overwall Tracker is that not only does it deal with creatures in a way that Green is supposed to be able to do it, it's reusable. Like, every round, you just go, fight, 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 
And as long as you have the bigger thing, you're just wiping the board. Even better, you can use stuff like Death Touch or to just keep sniping things. Like, I put it in Farika so that for four mana, I can just go kill a thing. Oh, yeah. I I remember in Standard, actually, with Predator Ooze. Yeah. Making Ulvenwald <laughs> okay. Tracker make the Ooze fight things that it could kill, and then it gets bigger, and then you would just attack with it. It was so sweet. Yep. It's also <laughs> great. It's just, like, it's another mainstay in my Atarka deck, because the red spells aren't going to be that good until I can ramp up to enough to where Common Storm actually does wipe the board. So yeah. until then, I'm just going to have to de- fight dragons with dragons. Or if you're using something with, like, Carador or the Golgari deck, you can go ahead and use it as also a pseudo-sack effect. Like, okay, our things will kill each other. Okay, I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that? Because I am. <laughs> so, Clay, what's your second round? Um, I think Mark had one more thing to say on that subject. Did you, Mark? Oh, oh my thing was, I I know in my heart of hearts, I know this to be true, that Ulamal Tracker is just strictly better than Arena. <laughs> But it's, or, or, like, if in any deck that wants, like, Uvenwall Tracker, you should probably just throw Arena in there, too, man. Come on. You know? It's pretty sweet. Arena is a land that says three tap. Tap target creature you control and target creature of an opponent's choice that he or she controls. Those creatures fight each other. And, yeah, and that last part of an opponent's choice means you're yeah. always fighting. You're always fighting the Mana Dork. But whatever, you're beating the holy hell out of that Mana Dork. So, you know, I think it's all good, man. Yeah. All right. Um, my second set of cards, um, I, I'm going to call second chance cards. Um, basically cards that help do things beyond what they originally are for. Like, this can easily be things with flashback, like, uh, think twice or forbidden alchemy or ancient grudge, things that you can use twice. Um, this also goes with a card that we mentioned earlier, Life from the Loam, which is, in, which is a stupidly powerful card that people often forget about. It costs one and a green. Return up to three target land cards from your graveyard to your hand. Dredge three. Dredge is a mechanic, an ability, that if you would draw a card, you can instead put that many cards from the bo- from the top of your library into your graveyard. So dredge three, you would put the top three, and then you would return this card, in this case Life from the Loam, from your graveyard to your hand to be able to cast it later and reuse it. The best thing about Life from the Loam, though, is that if you put lands into your graveyard using its dredge, you just cast it and get them back. Um, if your playgroups are okay with land destruction spells, or if you have fetch lands that you need to reuse, it's just a really good way to refill your hand and get lands to play. Um, the other two, I I am being a green junkie right now, um, because green traditionally has had the best effects for getting cards back from the graveyard. Um, regrowth, which is just one in a green sorcery, return target card from your graveyard to your hand, and Eternal Witness, which has that text when it enters the battlefield, and is a 2-1 for one green green, are incredibly versatile and powerful cards that you should never forget exist and should never underestimate, because being able to buy back a card... Oh yeah, buyback mechanic too. Um, anything with buyback, um, late game, like, uh, what is it, Shatterstorm? Let's see. Or not Shatterstorm, Shattering Pulse. Mm-hmm. Um, one in a red, instant, destroy target artifact, buyback three. With buyback, if you pay its buyback cost when you cast it, you return it to your hand instead of putting it into your graveyard. So it's... Three, one, red, so five mana total, destroy target artifact at instant speed, and you get Shattering Pulse back. Love that card. Love yeah, that it's card. it's strong. Um, any Anything that has reusable value is really sweet in this format, especially if it's some sort of removal or some sort of way to get value 
um, some sort of engine card like Life from the Loam. Anything with Dredge, if you're using your graveyard as a resource with these cards, um, they're, the power is just insane, and it's something that people should be aware of existing. As we speak, I'm going online to buy more copies of Moments Peace. So <laughs> that card is just the nuts. Moments. And I don't know why I forgot about it since, like, last time. Um, Will, you mentioned it, like, last time. I'm like, I totally forgot that card existed, and that card's amazing. So It's a fog with flashback. Yep. It's cool. It's pretty good. All right. So what do you got for us, Mark? All right. So my my next set of, I guess, my cycle of cards, I guess, is actually a cycle of cycle of cards. It's just <laughs> cheap, cheap mana fixing lands that come into play untapped. Like, I think if you're looking to juice up your deck, but you don't want to spend a million dollars on it, um, I mean, you can buy dual lands and dual lands are just probably the most, the best lands in the format, but they're also the most expensive ones. So I don't, I like to spend money on my hobbies, but I don't like to spend all my money on my hobbies. Um, and like, un- like lands that come into play untapped are, po- are powerful. Like, especially dual lands will do that, or something that will give you, you know, access to the colors you need, but don't make you wait a turn. You know, there's nothing yeah. wrong with the, with the bounce lands. There's nothing wrong with, um, you know, even a lot of the great color fixing that came in the cons block. Like, that's great. Um, but sometimes you just need it to come out a little bit faster. So I'm not going to go over all these. I just put them, I'm just going to call out some of the names of the, the cycles, and I put links in the show notes uh, for people who aren't familiar with the cycle names, like if you're a newer player and don't know what pain lands or check lands or tainted lands are, etc. They're just cycles of dual land cards, dual colors that came out. Um, either if the pain lands, they, they, you know, they tap for one colorless, or if you need, you know, one of two colors, they'll take one damage. And you'll, you'll still get the same effect. Um, it's kind of like a city of brass, but only for a pair of colors. You know, check lands, yeah. tainted lands, etc. Um, I call them the signet lands from Odyssey. They work just like signets. You, know, you pay one mana, tap, and you get two different colors out of it. Um, the layers, I feel like, I, re- I really like layers. I might be the only person <laughs> for, for this, but layers come, like, layers are like bounce lands, but they come into play untapped. And they, they have three colors of some of the old, like, Rithy Awakener dragons, um, like that cycle so they'll come into play you know you tap a land and then you can bounce a, a tap land back to your hand it's fine you, you'll mm-hmm. essentially get the same amount um and the last thing i'll just say for the the lands is there was a cycle out of i want to say future it might have been future site uh graven cairns nimbus maze and river, river of oh, yeah yeah graven the, the future lands um, yeah, and there there are two more, but they're really expensive. Horizon Canopy and Broken <laughs> the Burn Willows. Yeah, so those, we're just gonna things, forget those exist for now. Yeah, those things are just ridiculously expensive. So whatever. Like Graven Cans is a is, has been reprinted before, um, but Nimbus Maze and River of Tears are pretty sweet, especially because like blue white and blue black are usually some of the most expensive dual lands you'll find, and mm. Nimbus Maze and River of Tears are both right around like five bucks, and they just require yeah. you to have like a planes or they require you to have like if you want to make blue you have to have a, a car a planes out if you want to make white you have to have an island out you know same thing with river of tears just swap the lands um they're really good or, and again they cover tears that. is weird and different but can it's I, still fun can i just say that i that the future site graving cairns is the only graving cans that you should be playing oh yes. absolutely yeah i remember i in my olivia voldaren vampire deck i had the other graven cairns and then i realized that graven cans had the cool like castle sangir vampire art on it and i had to site i had to swap it out so <laughs> you just you have to sometimes also can we just say how i really need to see a foil nimbus maze in my lifetime Ooh, yeah the art, <laughs> the art is really sweet yeah all it's right super- all right, so round three. 
rather than giving them one specific card, I'm going to get some cheese on these nachos and say, gas to go. You can't play Magic if you don't have cards. And at some point, if you run out of cards, you're going to feel really bored because everyone else will be doing cool shit and you'll be sitting there looking at the top of your deck being like, you better not be another fucking mountain. So <laughs> we have three categories here. We have the incremental advantage. These are your Phyrexian arenas. I this stuff that's going to give you like one or two cards extra turn. And I really like these. They're, they're kind of really innocuous. They're the ones that don't get hit first thing. And one of my favorites is actually Death Reap Ritual. The hmm. two green black four cost enchantment from Conspiracy that says morbid. At the end of each turn, if a creature died this turn, you draw a card. That's it. So, like, I could draw three cards in a single round if something just dies every turn. I might only draw one. I might draw none. It's a little streaky, but it's also so innocuous that people leave it alone. Like, people aren't going to be aiming their high-target things at this. And it's a quiet way to refill my hand and keep drawing things that isn't just especially Especially if you have ways to sacrifice stuff every turn. Yeah, which, oh, I'm playing green-black for Rika. I wonder how people are going to die. Did someone swing? Congratulations, you got a snake. And now things die. It's fantastic. There's, you know, with Scribe becoming an evergreen keyword, we have a lot more tools. Shadows of the Past is a card that I'm really excited about because it's a two-man enchantment that says whenever any creature dies, you get the Scribe one. Like, there's some bonus text where it says, like, if you pay five mana or something, you get to gain two life and everyone else loses two. That's not the important part. The important part is that you get to Scry one every time something dies. Card filtering is incredibly important. I put the Scryfish in blue decks that need early blockers and more card filtering, like my blue-black deck or my Azami draw deck. Like, Azami draws a lot of cards, but I still need early card filtering to make sure I hit those lands. And then the third category is just your massive draw. This is just, hey, we need a full cartridge to reload. Let's go ahead and get this done in one go. You know, I play Promise of Power in Kalia because for five mana and five life, I get to draw five cards. That's almost a full grip. You know, mm. Blue Sun Zenith, Stroke of Genius, those are some of my favorite. And Stroke of Genius and Blue Sun Zenith even come in the pre-con deck. You know, yeah. you, you just don't do anything, you pass your turn, you wait till the guy before you's done, and then you go tap out, draw maximum ca- cards, and now on your turn, suddenly you have all the things to do, and now you can play Magic again. The Drawing cards is pretty much the most fun thing you can do in this game. Yeah, and like, you can't be afraid to 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 not go heavy on it if that's what your deck needs. Like, mm-hmm. I remember you did that Treasure Cruise in, in our game, and you got three lands in a row. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> It was great. It happens. Like, best essential recall ever. But, like, I hate not having stuff to do. So I always have to make sure that I have some amount of just pure card draw. Like, I don't like tutors as much. Like, I think two to three tutors is fine, since I use them reactively, kind of like a toolbox. It's like, I almost always use them to grab just more card draw. Like, I'll go Diabolic Tutor. Okay, what do I need? I need to draw cards. I'll go ahead and grab Erebos or Promise of Power. Because then I'm turning that one card into much more cards. Yeah. Theoretically, the quality of each card in your deck is roughly the same, where they're really powerful. Then just drawing quantity over quality will get you there. Mm. Yeah. So, Clay, what's your final round? Um, my final round is all about versatility. Um, cards that fulfill more than one function or can do more than one thing. The the best way to demonstrate this are, say, the charm cycle from either Cons of Tarkir or Return to Ravnica block. Um, basically, or even the older ones, there, there are tons of charms scattered throughout. But the, the definition of a charm, as it refers to magic, is... 
basically an instant spell that has three different options for what it does. Three different modes. And depending on what charm it it is, they do different things. But the point here is that they can... that they fulfill many different roles within the deck. Like, one of my favorites that I play in Borborygmos is Evolution Charm from, I believe... Uh, Planar Chaos. It costs one and a green, and says, choose one. Search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Which is the mode I usually use it for. Um, it doubles as a lightning bolt, basically. Or a land drop. Um, second mode is return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. So it can regrow a creature that I need, say, like, get my Eternal Witness back, or my Sylvan Safekeeper, or my Titania. Or the last one, which is slightly awkward, but target creature gains flying until end of turn. So you can just be like, oh, hey, my dude has flying, I block you. Or my dude has flying, and now I can swing over you. Uh, they they just have really cool and versatile effects. Um, the second set of these would be the command cycles from both Lorwyn and Dragons of Tarkir, which um, most of them are... Most of the Lorwyn ones are sorceries, except for Cryptic Command, and then um, all of the Tarkir ones are instants, I think. And they cost some mana, and you get to choose two out of four different modes. So the most iconic one is Cryptic Command, which has the modes... Um, the first one is counter-target spell. The hold second hold is... Hold on, hold on, click, Are you reading this off, off of something live, or are you reciting this from memory? I am reciting this from memory. All right, go. Because it's iconic. Um, it costs one blue, 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 so four mana total. It's an instant. First mode, counter-target spell. Second mode, tap all creatures target player controls. Third mode, return target permanent to its owner's hand. And fourth mode, draw a card. Like, the most... I And now I'm going to check and see if I got this completely correct. Oh, um, no. You got you the second... Oh, no, I got the return... I got the bounce and the tap. And that's reverse. relevant if you choose those two modes, because you yes. do them in the order they're listed. Yes. Anyways, um, because one of the most iconic things to hear when playing against control in modern is cryptic counter draw. It's it's literally just dismiss with added versatility. Um, dismiss costs two blue blue counter target spell draw card, so it costs a blue less and yeah. Um, there's costs a blue less and thirty dollars more. Um, and the last thing in this like versatility cycle would be spells with entwine from the original Mirrodin block. Entwine, um, like there's the base cost for the card. And then there are two modes on the card, whichever card it is. And then, so you choose one of those modes, or if you pay the entwine cost, then you get to do both of them. The The most iconic one of this is Tooth and Nail, which costs five green-green. Choose one, search your library for up to two creature cards, reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. Or, put up to two creature cards from your hand onto the battlefield. Entwine two. So if you pay seven green-green, nine mana total... Search your library for two creature cards, reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle your library, then put up to two creature cards from your hand onto the battlefield. 90% of the time, they'll be the two that you just uh, searched for, but yeah, um, entwined spells are really powerful. Another one of my favorite ones, um, let's see, oh man, uh, Journey of Discovery, I think? Oh, yeah. The name? Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a sorcery. It costs two and a green. Choose one. Search your library for up to two basic land cards. Reveal them, then put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. Or you may play up to two additional lands this turn. So you can either have it function as a small summer bloom or as a small, like, seek the horizons. Or you can entwine it for two and a green so you can pay six mana total to literally just search for two basic lands and probably put them onto the battlefield. 
untap because they're extra land drops. It's a fairly cool, versatile card. I really like it. There are tons of cards with Entwine. Just go onto Gatherer and search card text for Entwine. There's some really cool stuff out there. So, let me ask you guys something. Which is worse, a duck the size of an elephant or 1,000 elephants the size of ducks? <laughs> I yeah, feel like you've asked this Obviously, before. I want all the little elephants. Because one dozen eyes would also present people with a similar question. It's also awesome. It is. Oh, yeah. Like I just noticed that, and that's so cool. You can you get, get a five-five beast, or five one ones, or you can get both. Why not it's both? Not a legendary elephant. Yeah, I am uh, kind of sad that now they make beast tokens and not elephant tokens anymore. Because like back in the day, three three, if it was a three three token, it was an elephant token, well, and see, now it's just a beast. Well, see, they have oh, elephants. On, they have elephants still. Yeah, but they're not as prevalent anymore, you know? I mean, when we go back to Zendikar, maybe we'll have something like Tuscala that makes elephant tokens. I'm good with that. Oh, 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 my other favorite entwine card, Reap and Sow. Um, oh, yep, good one. Three and a green, choose one, destroy target land, or search your library for a land card and put it onto the battlefield and shuffle your library. Entwine, one and green. So for four green, green, you get to blow something up and you go get to find the best land in your deck. There's also something to be said about versatility and, like, cards that just say, deal with non-land thing, like Woodfall Primus. Mm. Oh, yeah. Like, you can now count that as artifact destruction or enchantment or land destruction or even Planeswalker destruction. Yeah. Uh, and his little buddy, the Acidic Slime. Yay, little buddy. All right. And, Mark, what is your final cycle? All right. My final set of cards that I think you should take a take a look at if you're a new player is uh, the target swap cards. All these cards, I just call them the shunt cards. I don't know if that's the, the first time this ever came up, but I, I don't know. they all pretty much do the same thing. Like, shunt is just a, a red instant for one and two red. Just says, very simply, change the target of target spell with a single target. Redirect and Imp's Mischief do the same thing. Imp's Mischief has, uh, you know, it's black, so you, you lose life accordingly. But they all kind of do the same thing. These are great because, especially in black and red, people don't think of you interacting on the stack, at least not in that way, you know? So if you ever get a chance to live the dream and shunt time stretch, like, you, you've done it right. So, like, oh, I have, whenever that happened, like, I've had that happen twice, and people just immediately concede the game. It's even better when it's Wild Ricochet. Oh, yeah, dude, yep. Wild Ricochet is hilarious. Yeah, like, all those cards, like, are really powerful effects that no one ever remembers seeing. Like, it's, is I put them in, like, the fog category. People don't see them coming, you know? Actually, so, can we just do, like, a quick shout-out to Fogs? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was just yes. shouting out... Mo Fogs I just bought best. Moments Peace, um, like, as we were on here, so... <laughs> um, it's great. An another pseudo-Fog thing that goes into that, um, that goes into, like, the flashback thing from earlier, Nod of the Bone, in a graveyard-based deck. Yep. Um, you gain two life for each creature card in your graveyard. That has saved my ass in Sidisi so many times, just randomly gaining 40 life. Is so fun. Right. You were talking about those second chance cards, the kind of refresh and replay cards. I play Archangel's Light in Carador. The mm. life gain just puts you out of reach so fast and so crushingly. <laughs> Too bad it costs eight mana. I mean, it's a... Didn't, weren't they originally going to cost it a lot lower and then realized it would be, like, way too good for limited? I actually don't know. Like, I just remember it I coming out... I feel like it was. I remember it coming out and everyone going, what the fuck is this? Why is this a mythic? And then me realizing, huh, I kind of want ways to get my graver back into my deck. This looks really good. <laughs> and then it got me stupid amounts of life. Like, you're right, Nod to the Bone is also really good, especially in dredge-based decks. But Archangel of Light, two life for every card that goes back. 
All right, guys. I think that about does it. How was that, Trav? That was awesome, dude. I really appreciate you guys having me on here. I feel like I've learned a lot and hopefully not been too much of a noob in the in the cast. No, nah, dude. No, not at all, man. No, we're always happy to induct people into the cult of Commander. <laughs> Consider me always. inducted. All right, the Kool-Aid's right over there. <laughs> Excellent. All right, and of course, we'll have the show notes up with our episode posting in case you guys want to go ahead and check these cards out for yourselves or you just kind of forgot some stuff. But of course, our technology segment is done, and you know what that means. It's time for us to take this to our outro. Okay, then. Any tomfoolery before we do sign-offs? No? All right. Yeah, I don't think so. All right. Well, Tom isn't My here. My cat right? bit me. What? <laughs> This has been CommanderCast, episode 210. I'm going to go ahead and thank everyone for showing up today. Travis, thanks for coming out tonight. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I know that I've, I heard today that we actually interrupted your regular streaming schedule. I hope that doesn't disappoint your fans. Oh, I think they'll be quite happy being able to listen to this. Again, thanks thanks for the invite, man. Absolutely. <laughs> and you know what? After a while, we'll have you back. Sweet! <laughs> Mark Clay, thanks for coming out tonight. Hey, anytime, man. That yeah, was fun. It yeah, was. Travis, it was it was great meeting you, man. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, this this was this was a good experience. Yeah, it's actually it's actually been a while since I was this engaged in a podcast. Sometimes I just kind of zone out and end up looking at <laughs> Quaka pictures. Hey, you shouldn't be telling us that. I mean, I might be hinting at something later when Calvin comes back next week. So, contact information. Let's go ahead and start with our guest, Travis. If people want to reach you, how can they do that? Uh, best way is at Twitter. I'm at Simulan. Uh, people are also welcome to send me an email at simulanjones at gmail.com. And if you want to find my content, that's on twitch.tv slash Simulan. And a lot of it's on manadeprived.com as well. Awesome. Mark, if people want to reach you, how can they do that? I know a lot of people don't want to sh- show their articles. Oh, yeah, definitely. And actually, I have a little apology going out to everybody whose, whose articles I might not be getting to as quickly as I used to. My wife's just gone back to school recently, so I became her editor. So, uh, sorry, guys. Her, her stuff takes precedence. <laughs> but I'm getting to all the articles as quickly as I can. So thank you guys for sending them. Uh, my email address is in the show notes, so please hit me up. Keep them coming. I just might take me a couple more days longer than it normally does. Clay, if people want to reach the Commander Panda himself, what they do? what do they do? Um, you can find me on Twitter um, at, at EDHPanda. You can also email me at EDHPanda at gmail.com. Um, my girlfriend and I often stream on Tuesday nights, even though we did not this week and we will probably not next week while we're at the beach. But if you want to keep track of when we do, we are on Twitch, Tumblr, and Twitter at Panda Alpaca. It's Panda Plus Alpaca. It's written down in the show notes. And I see that Travis has now followed me literally as I'm about to hit the follow button to follow him on Twitter. It's a romance. Now, if you want to follow me personally, I am WIEHernandez at gmail.com. Also, the Twitter is at BlueRan1409. And if you want to hit us up here at CommanderCast Pro... Prime, Command Cast Proper, Command Cast HQ, the Commander Cast Network of Grandoise Greatness. We have a Gmail. It's commandercast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. We're at CommanderCast. We also have a Facebook page banned by Judson and Calvin. And hey, you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes. I'll read them off here on air in front of our guests. You could embarrass me. You have the power. I trust <laughs> you not to abuse it, but it would be amusing. 
Thanks to everyone who contributes to our website. You're fantastic people. And hey, if you want to join us, go ahead and send us an email. Let us know what your idea is. I'm always happy to, to listen to people who want to start out and make stuff. Music for our show is the X Meets Heavy Metal series by 331 E-Rock. Support them on Patreon. We'll see you next week with more community, strategy, and technology. Until then, let's get it! good about that trap yeah that went really good thanks guys like that that was kind of exactly what i was looking for there and i bet there's a lot of other people that would like to hear that too yep. well that's why we recorded it yep <laughs> nice i was a little worried about about this because we had done something similar when we had manipool mike and brian on earlier when we talked about deck building and like that but really love what we've come up with so far let's go ahead and finish on boys and that's Ooh. a wrap <laughs> And now it's time for us to have post-game dangly bits. Dangles. <laughs> I can't believe I still haven't gotten around to watching Psycho Pass. Man, I know I have not either. Since like, my student recommended that, like I see it on like my Netflix queue, and I just usually click on something else. I feel bad when I do it. I mean, my excuse is that my Ashley has this whole really nice entertainment center thing, and we, she has the actual DVDs. Mm -hmm. So we're just gonna wa end up watching it in her house. And we came close last time when Amazon Prime contact, we couldn't get the episode to Attack of the Clones, mm -hmm. but. Then again, we decided, well, but we also have The Devil's a Part-Timer, and we have a dub, and we haven't seen the dub yet. Yeah, so... Yeah, no, I feel the same way, man. I mean, like I said before, I'm trying to get back into standalone complex, but every time I watch, like my wife and I just have the one big TV in our bedroom, so whenever I go to watch standalone complex, she always comes in and she's like, "Would you rather watch like this show instead?" I'm like, "Oh, all right." So, because I mean, as good as she is, you know, she sat through Akira. I'm never getting her to sit through a standalone complex. Like that's just not a thing that's gonna happen. So I I can't imagine trying to explain standalone. I I have never attempted this explain standalone complex because <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah it's a thing i mean hey whatever man you know i have a buddy of mine who can run down like i still can't understand dragon ball z so i will take standalone complex over dragon ball z like i respect dragon ball z it does its thing over there but i just don't understand so you know it's so awesome that we're finally reaching that age where the age groups are marketable for for these kinds of things. Like, Yu-Gi-Oh! has a movie coming out that's a continuation of the original series next year. Hmm. Like, that's a series... Like, we've gone through five generations of Yu-Gi-Oh! already. Like, and it, it was some hot shit oh. when they were doing the 10th anniversary movie. It's like, yeah, we'll bring together all three protagonists of the three different generations, and they'll do a tag team against the villain, and it was awesome. I'm so hmm. old. Yep. Don't worry about it, brother. I everything Yu-Gi-Oh just I I just shake my head. I'm like, yep. I know my students really like it, so I'm down with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just I mean that's fine, and that, like I think that's cool that you know 
I think how, how do I want to phrase this? Maybe that, you know, younger people, uh, without making myself sound horribly old, like have a, a good form, like, like something they you can really go on my to. Lawn. Yeah, you know, like, I don't know, like, okay, I'm at that age where I don't know if this is you, Travis, but I totally missed Power Rangers. Like, mm-hmm. I was probably a year or two short of Power Rangers. So I just don't, like, I don't get that shit at all. I was like, about 10 short of Power Rangers, if that tells you anything. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't, I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. Like, if that's your thing, go for it. Like, I just don't. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Probably in the same way that, like, when I have, like, crazy affinity for 80s action movies. Like, I was trying to explain the plot of Commando the other day to someone, and they're like, why Why would you bother? I'm like, no, you don't understand. Because he rips the door off a car. That's, I know. It's so awesome. Like, I oh saw my... Total Recall with my dad when I was a kid, and I fucking love that. Man, some people, I guess if they're not, like, I guess if they're not really into it, like, they just don't get it. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. I mean, like, I still need to watch the Expendables franchise, because it's supposed to be just what every Everything's awesome about the 80s, right? Yeah, like I need to put that on my list, too. Like, it's Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and just all of the classic 80s action movies. How can you get any better than that? Uh, see, I don't know, man. Like... <sighs> That's 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 what I thought about the new Terminator movie before the new Terminator movie came out. So I don't Please know. Don't tell me it was horrible. I haven't, I haven't seen, seen it yet, yet because I'm I'm okay. too scared. I'm too scared. I, a I buddy of mine just came to see it and he's like he's like don't. He, all we said was don't. Like that's it. That's the text I got from him when he got out of the theater. So I'm like oh oh god. So I, like sometimes you can't go back. You know what I mean? Like I am legitimately looking forward to the Ghostbusters remix where they swap all all the uh, the guys out for girls. Like that sounds awesome. It does. You know? Yeah. But that's but that's a different like there's a difference between like putting a different spin on something that references old material and then trying to do the exact same thing. Like to me, um like did you guys see the the new Mad Max movie? No, yeah. I didn't. Oh my god, that okay, Will just you need to go see that movie. That movie is amazing. Like that is an amazing new movie that puts a new spin on it. Like it's kind of like the Road Warrior, but it's it's not the Road Warrior. You know what I mean? Like they're doing things with the, the mythos, they're doing things with the characters but in a different way. Whereas like I watched Dragon Classic world couple days ago that thing in certain scenes is like shot for shot remix like i was explaining yeah. to a buddy of mine of like if you watch the first jurassic park film and you were bothered by how much story and character development was in that movie this is the perfect movie for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah like it really is you know and that's not saying it like there was awesome dinosaur e- eating you scenes but at the same time it's like man someone just really had a hard on for jurassic park and then just forgot about what made that a really good movie you know what i mean yeah. Yeah. i mean i i say that about the movie movie that's what made more money than any movie ever <laughs> I, I think sometimes people was, just want to see dinosaurs yeah and like that's totally fine i you mean know? Like, i kind of had that experience with the godzilla movie you know like sure the payoff at the end was awesome like you get to see godzilla just jamming atomic fire breath down this monster insect's throat and that's fucking awesome yeah but the first two-thirds of that movie are oh i'm kind of a distressed soldier guy and my dad's a nutcase and i have to deal with my family being in la and all that like yeah. no we want to watch fucking godzilla how, how much of a cock tease was it where he's in Hawaii and Godzilla's about to fight this fucking huge insect and they're about to throw down and then we cut to a news report of it. Nah, that's terrible, man. At least Pacific Rim did it right. I still have yet to see that movie. I hear awesome things. That was really good. That's worth your time, dude. 
Yeah, everyone keeps telling me that. I just haven't gotten around. It's one of those movies, like, yeah, everyone has, like, a backlog of movies they just miss when they come out. Because, you know, like, real life intrudes. Um, yeah. And I just haven't seen that one yet, but that one's definitely on my list. It was on, I think it was on Amazon Prime a little while ago. Uh, me, me and my wife have to really get down on that and my, check that out. My only complaint about Pacific Rim was the lighting. Like, a lot of the monster fights end up taking place at night, so you don't get to see them as clearly as you would want to in, the, like, the monster glory. But, mm-hmm. it, but it fills the quota on giant robots punching monster ass. Which is what you watch the preview and you're like, this is a movie about robots fighting monsters. And then you go see it and that's exactly what it is. Like, there's not (laughs) overwhelming story or anything. There's like, hey, giant monsters are invading. We should make giant robots and fight them. And then they do. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. See, like there is a there is a beauty and like to the simplicity of a movie sometimes. Like sometimes if that's all it is, like when I went to go see. Oh, God, what was the movie I always hold up as this? Oh, the transporter. The first transporter movie. There's there's almost no story there. There's almost like there almost aren't even characters in that movie. There is just Jason Statham beating the fuck out of people and driving real fast. I am totally down with that. Like when that's that what dude, you signed up for. Yeah, exactly. That's and that is exactly what you got, right? Like they're not trying to like tell you why he does these things or his past. No, screw that. There's just that scene where he pours oil over the floor, puts like kicks the pedals out of a bike, and then like ballet beats ass for like five minutes. That's all I needed. Like I'm good with that. You know, like I used to have an English teacher who used to call it the his Top Gun theory of movies. Like some movies you want to sit down and you you know you really want a story. Sometimes you just want to see shit blow up. And yeah. <laughs> like totally fine, you know, like that's and that's what those movies are. And as long as they fulfill the I just want to see shit blow up quota, then you're fine. When you try to mix the story with the shit blowing up, like I think that's where the problem comes in. And see, like I I don't know what was wrong with with me when I was going back and watching the original Star Wars movies with Ashley. Like the story wasn't really there. Okay, but like for some reason the the uh, the whole awesome ass kicking stuff, like it didn't feel like it was there either. Well, man, I mean, I I think you are literally a crazy person for saying these things. But then again, like, it is impossible for me to divorce myself for how, like, from the fact that I've seen those movies more times than I can count. You know what I mean? Like, I, to the point where I could probably recite every line of dialogue in the first three films. Okay, you, three- you know what? I do remember enjoying The Empire Strikes Back a lot better than A New Hope. So maybe it was just oh, The New Hope. Empire Strikes Back is definitely the best Star Wars movie ever. Like, I think that's Absolutely. indisputable. Yes, yeah, like, okay. that's the, that one, like, regardless of nostalgia, like, that one stands alone as actually, like, a good film, you know? Like, the other, like, Star Wars, the first one, you can make a nostalgia kick. I still think it's pretty good. Whatever. Return of the Jedi. Eh, eh, yeah. Eh. Like maybe the original script for Return of the Jedi would have been amazing. Yeah. Walks. Yeah. Exactly. You're like, eh, you know, and the the prequels we just pretend they don't exist. But right. you know, I mean, like I think the, the Sith one. Like I like watching. I kind of. I kind of like hate watching the first three movies, especially for like the the incredibly forced love like love story between Anakin and Padme. Like it's so bad between like Jesus man, like that actress is used to be one of my favorite actresses. She still she still is like really good. Like Natalie Portman's an amazing actress. You would never know it from those first three movies. <laughs> like, like you would get nothing. You're just like what the fuck. Like you look at her in the professional when she was like 13, and then you look at her in like Revenge of the Sith, like, trying to act like she cares about another human being and failing on every single fucking level. It's it's just hilarious to me. I don't know. Like, so I get probably 
I, I get things that I that I, I should, probably shouldn't have. Like I always giggle when when Yoda and Obi Wan start talking about how they killed the younglings. Like that shit just makes me laugh. Like I'm sorry, it makes me sound like a horrible sociopath. But <laughs> fucking younglings? Who the hell was in charge of that script? Fucking see, younglings? You see, the the one thing, the one thing that I hate the prequel trilogy for, like Vinny Clunes, whatever, Jar Jar Banks. I was a kid when I saw that, so I liked him. Whatever. Yeah, it's fine. But the one thing I can't forgive episode 34 was how nerfed Grievous was. Like, the Star Wars Clone Wars cartoon, he was a fucking badass! Like, he this guy, cool. like this guy's stalking the, the roof on top of, trickle. like, a group of five or six Jedi, and they're cowering in fear of what this guy does. And then he shows up and he's fighting them all with, like, three lightsabers at once? Like, that's fucking awesome! Yeah. And then, yeah. like, for, in, like, ten minutes, he's dead. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but they did the same thing with, um, oh god, Count Dooku, which first of all, motherfucker, like, Dooku, you can't, you can't call bad guy Dooku, you can't, like, who is he gonna inspire fear in? Like, no, man, I can't, no, uh-uh. What? And it was, and, like, and it was Christopher Lee, man, like, you set up Christopher Lee and then you called him Count Dookie. God, yeah. that's terrible. Mm. But I don't know. Like, you know, it's funny. There's so many cool stories that are in the Star Wars universe or could be in the Star Wars universe, but they just don't they don't go after them. Like one of my favorite things a buddy of mine turned me on to. There's a, a short lived comic called Star Wars Legacy. Um, I think Dark Horse put it out and it was set like 70 years in the future or 70 or 100 years in the future, whatever it was. Wow. I guess some other crazy invasion happened and they, they pick up with like the descendants of the, the, you know, like Luke Skywalker and everything. So like Luke Skywalker's great, great grandson is like a drug addict who like really hates the fact that all these force powers are getting in the way of his high. Like, <laughs> it's, it's fucking amazing. You're just like, Oh shit. You know, you put, you put things in there like playing against type and then the funny part is like you'll see Luke come in as like you know the blue Obi-Wan like ghost every once in a while like can you can you not get high right now like you're trying to save the galaxy so shut up Luke whatever like shut up grandpa (laughs) and now it's all non-canon because our overlord and masters Disney have said it so yeah which is unfortunate but whatever it's still a good story you know just like like, like, Lightsaber Republic is amazing I don't really care if it's not canon anymore like I want to see the story where Boba Fett like trains Han Solo's kid like that sounds amazing that's not looking cool I mean, take. Yeah, I heard about it through. I think it was Death Battle. Yeah, there we go. That's sweet. I mean, who knows? You know, maybe the new stuff will be amazing too. Like I said, cautiously optimistic. I don't know. That second Same trailer. I, I I watched that second trailer when it came out. I don't know, probably like ten times in a row, something, whatever. And every single time, man, the part where like Harrison Ford sticks his nose in at the end is like, we're home. Like that got me in the feels every single time, man. Like, I could watch that right now and it'd still get me just as much. I'm just like, God damn you for playing upon my nostalgia. Can I just say how much it blew my mind to realize that one, Mark Hamill was Luke Skywalker? Because I knew him as the Joker first. Whoa. And, and two. That's a new reversal. <laughs> and two, that he was the main villain for the Avatar series. Really? That part I did not know. Yes, Mark Hamill voiced Fire Lord Ozai, who's the main antagonist for, for the first Avatar series. Wow. And he See- sounds amazing. See, my, my whole, the end all be all of, of Mark Hamill's career to me outside of Star Wars is, uh. Um, the NASCAR racing movie, right? <laughs> oh shit, I didn't even know that. I was gonna say The Giver. <laughs> like, where he gets turned into like some horrible, like, cockroach. Hmm. That, it was that and he was on an episode of, oh god, it wasn't The Twilight Zone. It was Amazing Stories. Like, 
where they they did a really like on the nose bit where Mark Hamill was a guy who just collected old toys for like years and years and years and kind of ruined his life collecting all these toys and then sold them back in and became like a billionaire and was like super happy at the age of 70. So, dude, but dude, he was the fucking Joker for Batman the animated series. Totally never even knew that. Like I remember watching the animated series, loving it at the time, and then I found out later that Mark Hamill so I remember I almost got in a fight with a friend of mine when he told me that. He's like, "No, dude, like the dude from Star Wars is the voice of the Joker." And I'm like, "All right, dude, stop fucking lying to me. That's not funny." <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he's like, "No, really, man." I'm like, "No, really. I'm seriously going to punch you in the face. Stop fucking lying to me about that shit." And like t- it still blows my mind. Like every time I hear it, I just can't I can't envision that coming out of like Mark Hamill's mouth, but I think it's awesome. So, good for him, man. Mm-hmm. It's a hell of a voice actor. Oh, yeah. How's the fat cat? <laughs> He's doing great. He's sleeping on shoes, which is kind of his normal thing to do. There you go. I have a skinny cat, but he prefers to sleep on keyboards. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah, which is why he's locked out of the office when we record. <laughs> but then we get so many quality notes when he participates. What a pain in the ass. He's literally, like, now he just thinks of my wife's laptop as, like, a heated bed. So, like, whenever she's working on the couch or something, like, she physically has to, like, pull her off the goddamn keyboard. <laughs> it's a pain in the butt, man. You would think, it's like July. Like, do you need a heated bed in July? I don't know, cat. Like, you're covered in fur. I would think you'd rather go someplace cooler. But, nope. Yeah, Dutch still thinks he's a lap cat, but he's the size of a small dog. <laughs> There's like there's much, way too much cat and not nearly enough lap. <laughs> How much does he weigh, man? Twenty two pounds. Holy crap! Jesus, that could eat my cat. My cat weighs six pounds. Yeah, he he came to me that way, and I put him on various diets, and nothing seems to matter. He's just huge, and he likes it that way. <laughs> hey, whatever, you know. It's um, I guess each their own. If he's comfortable with his own body body image, you know, who are we to say any different? Yeah, I think he's in good shape. Low power, I high mean, toughness. He's good to go. <laughs> He's like the, the the Doran of cats. <laughs> Dutch, the siege tower. <laughs> it's got a nice ring to it, man. Yeah. I'm just going to go with Odyssey Filter Lands, like Travis said, for those Odyssey Lands. Will, do you have a better name for those, or is that it? Like, is that what they're called? That I don't have better names for them. Like, I like Signet Lands. Like, that makes sense I to do me. too. Okay, because I'm just going to... I don't care if I coin it. I'm going to go with Signet Lands. That's what I call them, so... Because I'm going through the, like, the technology for beginner staples and stuff, so... I just wasn't sure what to call that cycle of lands. I must be the only guy who, like, just buys the crap out of those things. Go ahead, Mark. I was going to say, I don't know, like, good stuff or slightly hilarious stuff, whichever, you know. Okay. It's the kind of stuff that we would consider almost mandatory to let newbies know about. Is okay. I, like, I, in my head, I was thinking about things I wish someone had told me, you know, when I first started building decks, and then my decks would have been so god-awful, so. Okay, so I need to really more or less listen during that part. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, if you got, you know, I mean, everyone's got something. Like, mine, you know, like, just, like, building a better mana base is mine. Hence, like, my question about Odyssey Signet Lands. Because, like, I yeah. hate paying ridiculous amounts of money. Like, I don't pay, I don't have any um, shock lands anymore. I don't have, like, the minute I, I pulled any of the uh, the fetch lands out of the cons block, I immediately sold them. Because it's just not, like, it's not worth it to me to spend, like, 20 bucks on a land. Unless it's something crazy and cool or and weird, like, you know, like a Vorash Stronghold or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, like, if I'm just fixing colors, like, I don't want to spend, that's not where I want to spend my cash. So I almost universally go for, like, pain lands, check lands, Odyssey, Signet lands, that kind of stuff. Um, which is a, it's an easier way to build up a decent mana base that doesn't come in untapped. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, anyway, like, that's, and those things, like, I didn't even know existed at first. Um, but I, I think those are useful for, like, newer players. I yeah, would, I think that's the first time I've seen them since I drafted Odyssey. <laughs> Yeah, well, this would be the format for them, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> They're still good. I mean, like, I run them instead of Signets, because Signets get blown up, but lands don't most of the time. You know, no one's gonna waste, uh, no one's gonna waste removal on my Shadow Blood Ridge, you know? They're just like, eh, fuck it, he can have it. <laughs> they are gonna ask to read it, but that's okay. <laughs> So have you guys been playing a lot of uh, Magic Origins lately? I got in one draft on release day, and I was hoping I might have some time to maybe get a quick draft in before we recorded today, since I got off work early. But then Tom put up the videos from the Roto Draft, and I had to check out his commentary. Um, hey, you know, these things come first. I've drafted this snot out of it, and then a bazillion sealed. <laughs> yeah, I usually go for sealed myself. I don't know. Tom or Travis, you're like the first person that uh, I heard actually like sealed besides me and like the 10 guys at my shop who play. I love sealed because it gets me back to that. Like the most fun I ever had playing Magic was when I, I only had 100 cards and I was trying <laughs> to build the best deck out of that to beat my buddies. And yeah. that's what sealed is. It's here's exactly. all your cards. The whole the entirety of your collection is right here and I make something with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of like back in the nineties when I was in like middle school, me and my buddies used to just go to the shop, buy as many packs as we could afford, go back to the kitchen table and just like try to put something together. You know? That was and I don't know, that's that's cool to me. And I like it because everyone's on the same footing, you know, you just you either get a sweet pool or you get a shitty pool. I usually get a shitty pool, but hey. <laughs> works out that way for me sometimes too, but I, I actually enjoy getting shitty pools because it's kind of like a challenge. How many wins can I get with this? <laughs> yeah, man, like how many people can you beat in the face with a bear? That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why Bash hates video games. Probably lost at one. Yeah, he just must be crap at video games, man. Like one time somebody just whooped his ass on Street Fighter 2 or something, and that's it. Ever since then, he's just been salty. Yeah. All he did was cast fireballs over and over and over. <laughs> yep. I have a buddy of mine who's, like, really, really, really into Street Fighter. Like, the kind of guy who, like, buys tickets for Evo, like, into Street Fighter. Wow. And he was, he was trying to tell me about, like, some of the changes to the, the characters. And I'm like, dude, you're, you're literally, like, speaking a different language right now. Like, I don't give a shit that you, like, I guess, I know, he was he was really bummed because you just can't spam, like, you know, back in the day, you just keep hitting kick until Chun-Li did her crazy, like, thousand, whatever, thousand kicks to your face. I guess it's, like, some other move now. And I'm like, dude, I literally don't take this the wrong way, but I could not care less about the words that are coming out of your mouth right now. <laughs> like, I love you as a person, but I don't give a shit about anything you just said in the last 10 minutes. Like, I know, like, it, it, it's all right, because he, like, humors me when I talk about magic. So, we, just, you know, we have that understanding. Not really someone to talk to, more of someone to talk at. <laughs> I mean, hey, you know, sometimes sometimes that happens. You know, we just, like, we're, I think, that, like, sometimes, you know, friends have just, like, subjects you know they just don't care about, so you just don't bring them up. Minutegas.com.